stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Just like the Autosport Awards, just like the FIA Hall of Fame induction, Lewis Hamilton will not be present for this award ceremony. Welcome to episode 115 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbour, that's Mr. Andre Harrison. And uh, we've got a stonker of a show lined up for you on this one. It is like the the other guys that will back me up on this. It's the longest set list I've ever had to type out for one of these. And I've done over 100 shows now. It's kind of bonkers in its own right. But hey, it's going to be fun. Um, before we get started, just a quick news update regarding the podcast for those guys that have been asking questions and whatnot. And you may or may not have seen my uh, glorious work-related video blog talking about this on the Motorsport 101 Twitter page, at Motorsport underscore 101. We're recording two shows this week. Two! Yes! So this one, obviously, if you're listening to right now, and probably early next week, you'll most likely get a second show. It's a Women in Motorsport special. And uh, we'll be inviting two special guests on for that one. We have Zoe Hamilton, of course, coming in. And for the first time, we'll have our favourite inside joke <laughs> on the podcast. Elizabeth Worth will be joining us as well for that one, and it will be great. I am I am 115% sure on that one. See what I did there? Right. Let's introduce our guests. First up, representing Tennessee, as always, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Good afternoon, good evening, and wherever you are listening to this podcast, hello, um course um you know we uh you know this is a this is a very this is a very important moment for the podcast uh it's our it's our end of year awards um ones that you know will not garner any sort of controversy uh, fallout backlash internal turmoil none whatsoever never not in a million years we never have that on this show right no not right? one bit no, isn't, isn't 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 that right, Mr. Ryan King? Yes, yes. No, no issues at ever. No issues at all. It's like we're, we we just operate completely smoothly. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no investigations involved. We don't, we we don't have to talk about impeachment or anything. No, right. no impeachment. None of, uh, none of our personalities have yet been banned from an entire Olympics. That doesn't right. mean we can't try. That doesn't mean we're not going to try, though. And we can also confirm that La La Land has not won any awards tonight. Um, <laughs> but uh, just to make sure that, that, that none of this crazy shit goes down on this podcast this week, we've brought in a referee. And it's a special referee because he is my partner in crime from Bike Live. Yeah, Motorsport 101 is under siege. And for those guys that only listen to one show, first of all, how dare you? Um, second of all, <laughs> we, we forgive you just for this week. Just to give you a taste of what you're missing, my partner in crime on Bike Live, Mr. Lewis Sutterby, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, apologies to all those who only do listen to one show. Unfortunately, you couldn't dodge me this week. Uh, so, uh, yeah, welcome, everyone. Uh, this is not actually me just simply not having a social life and having no friends since there's no Bike Live this week. Right. So I was so desperate for a podcast recording, I decided to wander into this one. Uh, but thanks for having me. Yeah, he got lost down the corridor, unfortunately. He ended up in here, poor yeah. sod. Uh, but, uh, for those guys that don't know, Lewis is my partner on Bike Live, and also he edits all these shows. He's a masochist, and he likes pain. Um, <laughs> he has to listen to us several times a week over, and... Cr- you, 
<laughs> there isn't a paycheck big enough for that sort of role, quite frankly. So we basically we pay, we pay him two six and and basically some shitty dad jokes over the course of a two hour podcast every week. We try, but um, luckily he hasn't run away yet. So he's in. So you know that's that's a miracle in its own right. So yes, the four of us on this show, but Motorsport One One is basically under siege for the week. Fun times, yo. Right, as RJ mentioned, this will be a double main event show. You don't get those very often these days. We'll be doing our Formula 1 2017 season review, going team by team up and down the paddock, and for those guys that are written fans, some exclusive numbers from me that you may not have heard yet. Great! Um, And the 2017 Motorsport 101 Awards. Who will win the Golden Cock? It's a very important award, this. Um, as you can tell, we're a very classy establishment on this show. Um, we have two, we we have two we have two phallic named awards because we're a mature podcast of professionals. <laughs> I couldn't even say that over straight face. That's terrible. <laughs> but before we get it, crack it into the news, places uh, you can find us real quick. As mentioned, we're on Twitter at motorsport underscore one hundred and one. Places you can find us on, personally on Twitter at harrison one hundred and one hd at ryan eric king at rj o'connell and at lewis sutterby twenty three is the right number on that one, Lewis. I think. <laughs> Correct, yes. If you uh, don't like uh, uh, foul-mouth rants about football teams, you might want to give that one a minute. Yeah, um, his beloved Hull City, um, you know, basically gives Lewis a heart attack every week. So if you want entertainment on that's concerned... We sacked our coach this week. We did, you did, didn't you? (laughs) How about that? That's always always fun. Wonderful. Hull City are really trying to emulate the New York Giants model of success. That's amazing. (laughs) Like, have you have you brought in some other white English guy yet to make the Premier League and the Championship even more of a boys' club? <laughs> no, but we're on it. <laughs> Good. Good. Keep you posted on next week's Bug Live. Right. <laughs> also, you're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport101. And, of course, you can find all that stuff, including back catalogs for, for this show and Bug Live, on Motorsport101.net. Three new written posts in the last week have gone up on there, by the way. So check that out already. Two from me, parts one and two of my three-part season review. And RJ did a thing on there as well, talking about Alfa Romeo Salba and comparing them to the likes of baseball. It's a really fun read. Meek Mill's involved in everything. It's great. <laughs> it's very culturally relevant. <laughs> so yeah, check that out if you haven't already. And of course, if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to both this show and Bike Live, which will be back next week, of course. And as you may have mentioned or may have missed on that video blog, but they've got an off-season for the first time. Isn't that right, Lewis? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, we're going to be going fortnightly through the winter. So, uh, yeah, you'll be able to hear us every other week, starting next week, as you mentioned, uh, with the Bike Live Awards, because you can't have enough award shows. No. So we decided to do one ourselves. Of course. We're, we're full of original ideas on this show, clearly. <laughs> so we're doing our own award ceremony next week. Yes, award shows, and pretty soon our own top 10 listicle series coming soon to motorsport101.net. <laughs> of course, who does that these days? <laughs> That's highly original content we got right there. Hashtag content. Right, after this brief musical interlude, we'll get into the news. mentioned as one season ended another began and well we had season four of Formula E kick off in Hong Kong this past weekend and uh King what didn't we get during this weekend? <laughs> uh 
absolutely everything. It was it was a season premiere that very few TV shows could match up to. <laughs> it's it's basically like oh my god, like, you know, it's 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 ridiculous. Like this was peak Formula E right here. It's like <laughs> Formula E is a series that has, has been known for crazy shit over the last three years. So of course, season four starts off with two different race winners, disqualifications. A guy winning despite a drive-through penalty. Another guy who spun out while in the lead of race two, and that everybody loves him. <laughs> and that's barely tipping the iceberg here. So we had a guy take pole position literally backwards. <laughs> John Eric Verd taking the race while pole position while in the middle of a spin because, of course, <laughs> like, you know what it is, King. The cars aren't fast enough to cost him damage by going sideways. <laughs> oh my God. But that was fun, and we, of course, we were celebrated with that, with that RJ, with uh, a John Eric Verne dab celebration gif. <laughs> oh, that's that's wonderful. That's that's probably like the least shameful thing, most shameful thing that John Eric Verne has done in a while. Sir, those you mean, you mean bes- yeah, um, bad habits mean, have circulated. You mean besides searching his name on Twitter and roasting our boy Brendan? Oh no, 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 that, no. I mean besides that. Let's just say, like, hey, sometimes, sometimes when you gotta go, you gotta go, you just gotta go. <laughs> uh, gotta swear as well from from that round that you gave Dre. I, I was under the impression that Nico Prost and Nick Heifel that the last corner collision last weekend. Boy, do I follow the wrong people on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... We 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 have to talk about this, don't we? We have to talk about this. Like Lewis Hamilton thought he'd open his mind a little bit, and you know. Why did they get into other forms of motorsport? And I'm like, yay, that's great. Is he watching IndyCar? You know, because IndyCar had a little back and forth with him earlier this year over the Indy 500 and, you know, some of the comments he made about the driver quality in said field. And, you know, oh, no. What do you mean he's dug up a clip of the very first Formula E race? (laughs) Oh, Lewis, no. (laughs) Would you sit through that? Okay, because here's a spoiler for the Beijing E-Prix. It's about 50 minutes of nothing... The initial pace lap is yep. way too damn long. Really, the oh, God, only thing you, the only thing you need to watch is the last the last fifteen seconds of the race when Nick Heidfeld and Nico Prost wreck and let Lucas Degrassi win the race. Yeah, like if I had to compare that race to anything else, it would be like a NASCAR race at Talladega where no one crashes until the last lap. <laughs> Well, you know, when, when Nicolas Prost basically turned his car into a trebuchet. I thought that was, you know, very creative <laughs> of him. Um, so, of course, Lewis Hamilton puts a picture of that last quarter incident as his way of basically talking about how narrow the Formula E tracks are. Which is a shame, because I think that's actually a fair criticism. It's just yeah. the example used to describe said criticism was like one of the widest parts of the Beijing track where you could have easily <laughs> yeah, like- made a pass. It was one of the widest parts of the Beijing track, and Beijing was one of the widest tracks on the calendar at the time. Right, so him, his, like, so him pulling that clip out of nowhere was great. But did you see Nico Heinf- like Sorry, like Nick Heinfeld's response to that on Twitter? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Heinfeld is an underrated savage. Like the response where he says, 
Thank you for showing your concern. <laughs> like, luckily, I am okay. I've, I've done a race in Hong Kong since, and um, luckily, there wasn't that many problems with Nico. <laughs> and I love that the Formula E Twitter like added his massive crash with Nicholas Nicholas Prost from Mexico last season just to add a little bit of extra sass on that one. Um, but what I thought was great. Um, so yeah, Formula E have no problem roasting for Lewis Hamilton. Trust me, we, we do it on this show enough as it is. Uh, but uh, gang, let's talk about race one for a minute here. And you know, we we, we had our beloved Jeff uh, taking time out of his busy schedule of searching his own name, uh, not win the first race. Believe it or not, it was uh, yep. it was you engaged. Burn up your best show in Formula E. <laughs> burn up, burn up. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> We have and to... I love how we have to mention newly engaged Sam yes. Bird. Because Sam Bird said that he was either going to propose at uh, at Bahrain if he if he won his class at the at the WC season finale, or in Hong Kong, and he said he wanted to do it after a win. He won his class at Bahrain, so he proposed then. So if he hadn't won in Bahrain, <laughs> he would have won again in Hong Kong. He was just covering the bases, King. That's all. <laughs> but uh, it, it it was a bizarre race. I mean, like Jev had the early going, and then like during the round of pit stops, Sam Bird misses his pit box. Yeah, Sam like Sam Bird missed his pit box. He actually almost uh, he almost he, he pretty much just. Came about a few inches away from driving into the pillar that separates the DS Virgin pit from the Nets pit over. Somehow he yeah, saved that was it. Fun. And somehow he, he got out of this with a drive through penalty, served his drive through penalty, and he still had enough of a lead over the Nets two cars. Yeah, because didn't, didn't Vern get into an accident in the second period of that race as well? Yes. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Like, it's like. Just like poor Jeff, it's like he, like he finally got that first win last season. I thought, hey, maybe this this will be the where Jeff turns the corner. Not quite um, on, on, on that one. Not quite, but hey, you know, Sam Bird with. But you know what? You know what seems interesting to me, King? Is it just me, or does Renault not look quite the dominant force we thought they were going to be? I think this is just a matter of all the teams getting used to the equipment after it being in place for like over three years now. The fact that pretty much we've reached the, I would say, the zenith of where the current regulations could take everyone. So everyone's pretty much bunched up together. Yeah. Um, like, so do you think there'll be any chance that they're going to stretch back out again as, as the season okay. goes on? Oh, yes, okay. definitely. Now, definitely. without... Renault's... Without looking it up, and I'm sorry to interrupt, I want to play a quick game with everybody. Um, I want you to pick a pick a number between uh, pick a number between one and ten, and I'll tell you which number I'm thinking of. Six, eight. Uh, King, what do you have? I said eight. Okay, um, Lewis, do you have a number in mind? I'll go four. Okay, King has picked eight. He was the closest to Renault's Renault Edam's current place in the team's championship standings of ninth. <laughs> as you do because as, as we saw during the race I think um, Wemmy and Degrassi the title rivals of old and probably the two strongest guys in Formula E they had a collision as well um, so indie rivals 
That was fun. Um, oh, good. Well, sorry about that. My phone went off there. Two Manchester United goals in two minutes. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> had to get that one in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if the the old rivals, uh, Bwemi and, and uh, the Grassy clash again. That was fun. Um, Bwemi finishing out of the points in eleventh in race one. The Grassy in seventeenth. But Nico Pross, being the consistent teammate, scored points in both in both races. And a boy, Nicholas Pross puts a team on his back. <laughs> Mr. Consistency himself. That's always useful. So yeah, Sam Bird winning despite the penalty in the end, and still wins by eleven seconds <laughs> over over John Eric Vernon second, Nick Heidenfeld third, Nelson Piquet for Jaguar in fourth place ahead of Daniel Apton fifth. Remember that it becomes important later. Antonio Felix da Costa in sixth. Uh, new boy Morata in seventh with Lynn Prost and uh, the Diamond Luca Felipe rounding off the points on his formulary debut in tenth. He got the fan boost. The the, the indeed he the did. Several thousand Boston bots all chipped in on that. Yeah. <laughs> also, I have like one theory. I I think the teams care less about fan boost now because fan boost is, still gives you the same amount of extra power as last year. But the total amount of power on the cars as a whole has increased, so fan boost is less effective. So the teams basically care less about fan boost. Oh, I see. I was, so, uh, I was just surprised that it didn't come down to Buemi Degrassi apt, Buemi Degrassi apt, Buemi Degrassi apt, Buemi Degrassi. Apt. <laughs> <laughs> like Lucas Degrassi, still the all-time leader in fan boosts with like seventeen, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> Race two, and uh, oh, we ha- we ha- we had some heartbreak here, didn't we, King? Oh goodness, let's start with Eduardo <sighs> Mortara first. Yes, Eduardo Mortara <laughs> gets no love because we don't really talk about DTM that much. Eduardo Mortara is a pretty damn good touring car driver. And apparently yeah. a very good GT driver, especially around the streets of Macau. So this is his first. Uh, this is his first time as a full-time Formula One, Formula E driver, and he's actually doing all right. In fact, he's in position to win this second race, um, which I admittedly slept through out of fatigue. Um, King, back me up on this one. What what the hell happened to Eduardo Matara? Oh, God, I don't recall exactly what happened to his car. It, it, it was right by the harbour corner. He ends up spinning it right, like, right... Yeah, he dropped it. He, he dropped it while in the lead of the race. He spun out, and it was, it's oh. just... It's just... Oh. oh. He would go on to finish in second, but apparently he was inconsolable oh. in the Venturi team garage. He apparently burst into tears um, in the Venturi pit garage after the race. He was... Devastated. Uh, he basically blown a blown a pretty straightforward win. Um, like shout out to uh, our friend of the show Hazel Southwell. We report, reported this on Twitter as well. Apparently he was completely inconsolable. Uh, poor fella. Martara um, is so relatable. <laughs> he is precious, and now everybody loves him. Bless him because he was so honest about it. He, he said he couldn't believe how much he and I quote fucked it up. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, poor guy. He, 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 I mean, second place on your first weekend is is a fantastic result by by any measure. I think he had the fastest lap of the race as well. Um, but uh, yeah, second place in the end, and that opened the door for Daniel App to finally take his first Formula E victory. Yes, Daniel, you did it, man! Way to go, Daniel! You are absolutely on it. There is no way that this could possibly go wrong. <laughs> Certainly not with a team that, you know, certainly has no track record of this happening ever before. Not one it's, bit. It's ter- Congratulations, it's, it's ter- Daniel. 
It's like, sorry, RJ didn't let me finish my sentence. I was going to say, dot, 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 or so we fought. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, because the reason I don't remember what happened to Montero, Montero was because what had happened afterwards. <laughs> Daniel Apt wins, he has the champagne bath, and about 20 minutes after the race ended, we got official word from the series that uh, his car was under investigation in post-race scrutineering, and about an hour after that, we found out Daniel Apt has been disqualified from the race 2 result, and everyone's just like, oh fuck, not again. Like, like, how many times has Audi had a winning car? Dis- I think this is the third time now that Audi's had a winning car disqualify from a race victory. This is, this is something else. And my heart goes out to Dad. He really is the court jester of Formula E, and one of the most entertaining and charismatic drivers in the series. And uh, gets his first W, and then it gets promptly ripped out from underneath him. King, I think the reason why was they had the wrong stickers on their parts. I think that I think that's the phrase. Yes. So on the on the uh, electric converters and the electric motors, the the technical stickers which have feature barcodes, which basically what it's basically what the FI uses to uh, basically for scrutineering purposes to make sure that uh, the parts fit within the regulations. They pretty much uh, check them in advance and basically give them barcode, uh, a, you know, a sticker with a barcode on it. So you know they don't have to check it again. They don't have to worry about anything. They just race it. We know it's fine. Issue was <coughs> post race scrutineering. Scan the barcode. Barcode doesn't match the one that's in the passport, which shows you know the list of all the barcodes. They're disqualified because it basically they could have been running. They could have been running illegal motors. They could have been doing anything because. The parts they had checked were not pre-cleared to run in the race. Buddy, just yeah, buddy, just uh, write the skew on the side pod. <laughs> 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 so yeah, like when you break that one, you can't really let that one go, unfortunately. And yeah, Daniel App disqualified from race two, which gave the win to our old buddy driver for hire, Felix Rosenquist takes takes the victory in the end for Mahindra. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like it's like the saddest Felix victory yeah, ever. And he, and like... he even re- knows that this is like this is not the way that he wants to win the race. And he even admitted himself like he's not driving as well as he should be to start the season, which is kind of crazy right. when you consider to think that he is still third in the championship out of all of this. Yeah, and he was and he ended last season very strong indeed, um, looking like a weapon out there. But. Uh, Hey, we can only beat what they put in front of you, and that got disqualified. So the next thing you know, Felix takes the victory ahead of Mortara, as we mentioned earlier, by seven seconds. Mitch Evans gets Jackie was first. <laughs> what the hell was that, RJ? Uh, I want answers, and I want them now. This is my this is my Mitch Brow alarm. Mitch Brow. No, no, that's 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 not how it was about fifteen seconds ago when he punched one of my eardrums. <laughs> yes, there will be there will be many uh, uh, red solo cups with uh, ping pong balls inside of them, and what and, and, and the beverage of choice will be very frosty. It will it will likely be very cheap as well. That's his, yes. this is Jaguar Racing's first podium, by the way. They look so good. They're really embracing this role of like a uh, very otherwise likable team if not for the fact that most of the people who listen to the show just don't like the two drivers 
No. I, I don't like. I don't like Mitch Evans. I don't like either. Well, I, 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 yeah, I don't like either of the drivers. I was about to say, well, I kind of like Nelson Piquet Jr., but I also kind of not like him as well. Yeah, so uh, they're never going to win the People's Choice Award, but they, uh, the team is cool, and uh, yeah, they're they're embracing Jaguars brand as being the archetypical villain. Yeah, in other words, like the the, the the is the car just about big enough to fit some golf clubs in the back? Yeah, <laughs> old school Jaguar style. But yeah, Mitch Evans third could have had a pole position on top of that as well. I was was unlucky to have missed out on that one. Um, so yeah, Mitch Evans looking fierce to start the season as well. Jev in fourth, Sam Bird fifth, Oliver Turvey in sixth. Good for him. Um, Mara Engel seventh, Nicholas Prost in eighth, flying the flag for Reno because somebody has to. Um, Alex Lynn in ninth, and Sebastian Buemi rounds off the points in tenth. So early championship standings on this one after the first double header in Hong Kong. Bird up leads the way with 35 points. Ahead of John Eric Verne, two points back in second on 33. Felix in third on 29. Uh, and Hedora Morata in fourth with 24. Bit of way back to Nick Heinfeld in fifth on 15 points. So, yeah, a couple of crazy Formula E races. Maybe more so for the drama off the track, quote unquote, than on it. That's, oh, you know, God. that's the way. Oh, yeah. for- <laughs> I, I, I'd make note of two things to look forward to later on this season. Number one, if this weekend shows that the other factories are here to play. They're here to show Renault and Audi that they're not yes. the only factory team in town, whether it be Mahindra, whether it be the Virgins, whether it be the, the Jags, the other factory teams have finally shown up. Yeah, Yay! And BM- also, yeah, BMW and also, wait and see. Yeah, B- Andretti, wait and see. Uh, also, Sao Paulo is now off the calendar due to administrative reasons, but likely to return Punta del Este. Yes! Yes! Get in there! Yes, <laughs> the best the I, best track on the calendar. <laughs> I, I also want to pour one out for both Andre Lauder, who had a very tough first weekend in formula e a lot of people said this is carmen you know that's fine yeah, just 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 go away with me for that nonsense i i'm always a supporter of andre the giant um and also yes. to Kamui kobayashi's uh to Kamui kobayashi's japanese citizenship because he decided <laughs> to race with a monaco license oh did he really yes Yep. Wow. They even listed Kamui Kobayashi as a Japanese driver who was elected to race with a Monaco license. And also, yeah. Dragon Racing, you trash. It's 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 even it's even Wikipedia official. If you go on the pay if you go on the Formula E season page, it lists Kumi Kobayashi as a Monogas driver. Oh, Charles O'Clair would be pissed. It's like I I, I have this brand space. <laughs> Get out of my grill! Um, so that's fun. And also, I like, love I... my favorite Monegas drivers of all time, like Daniel Ricardo and Felipe Massa. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty much half of the Formula One grid. Yeah, pretty the way much. they it's all like... decide to steal Charles Leclerc's thunder. Yeah, you know, by paying no taxes. Austin Lewis, yeah, Lewis Hamilton is going to race for the Cayman Islands next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, that'll be, that'll be fun. But so uh, yeah, baptism of fire for Mister Lotterer, and I do not believe in any of that karmic nonsense. Yeah, like I don't blame people for not taking Formula E seriously in year one, for God's sake. Um, anyway, 
Um, sorry, if I'm going to rehive mine, don't piss them off. Right, next chapter. <laughs> uh, right. Big news coming out of Formula One. Well, semi-big news. The like the the quote-unquote bottom of the field Sauber team announced a couple of days ago that uh, Alfa Romeo is back, yo. Yes. <sighs> yeah, and I was initially skeptical about this given Sauber's recent history. I thought this might be they perhaps get the Alfa that Richard Hammond drove on Top Gear, where he had to pump the water through himself. <laughs> but, but, but actually, this is fantastic. You know, this is basically like Haas. Have a look at what you could have yeah. had. Yeah, Richard, read, um, Lewis. I just want to bring up a point here that you know why do we need to bring? Why do we feel the need? to tell people that Richard Hammond once drove a very terrible Alfa Romeo. Why is that necessary in today's society? (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there, Mr. O'Connell. Excuse me. Um, Who wants some ice cream pops? <laughs> nah, sorry, mate. It looks a bit too phallic for me. Um, I'm saving it for. I'm save. I'll save mine for the uh, Golden Cock Award. Um, it might. It might make Richard a bit nervous because you know he doesn't like those sorts of things. Anyway, <laughs> Salba Alfa Romeo. It's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? And uh, yes, they are bringing Alfa Romeo as their brand new title sponsor. Yay! Yeah. Dot dot dot. Yeah. They boot. They booted out Pascal Verline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> been confirmed Charles Clark will be in the Salva Alpha yeah and not only is it a title sponsored deal it is a strategic commercial and technological uh, partnership between the two brands so they're basically a Ferrari B yeah, team which that... is what they were um, <laughs> once upon a time back when they had Ferrari customer engines under a different badge and were effectively yeah. Ferrari's B team see their partnership to get the likes of Felipe Massa up to Ferrari through Sauber. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of seen the uh, 2017 version of that right now, and they, they revealed their first livery concept as well, which uh very white, uh, just to say the least on that one. <laughs> Ho- hopefully, a couple more sponsors on there between now and March. That'd be nice. It's, it's a little bit plain, but uh, I thought it was all right, you know. But uh, yeah, Alfa Romeo Sabra is a thing. Um, RJ, give give the give the good people at home a little sneak preview of the of the, of the blog you had up on the website yeah. a couple of days so ago. So this was a uh, this was something I wrote just kind of like spur of the moment because I don't usually write about Formula One, uh, but I was very intrigued about the story about like just like putting out what Alfa Romeo Sauber was in terms of concepts of like what if I did this as like baseball? So I, I start with a visual representation of Alfa Romeo side Charles Leclerc. It's a gif of and King will like this. Aaron Judge blasting a home run to the deepest part of Yankee Stadium <laughs> earlier in the year. It's a 500-foot home run. That's basically what they did with Charles Leclerc. He is the can't-miss prospect of all prospects. He's the first Formula 2 rookie to win the championship on debut since Nico Hulkenberg did it. The guy's good. He actually gets more, and here's the thing, he gets more dominant as he goes up the junior formula rather, ladder rather than going down. That, bare, that, yeah. that hardly ever happens. Yeah, because like the weird thing is the way the ladder moves. That if if you move up too quickly, you're going to be racing against a different set of drivers, and usually it ends up with the guy getting caught out. But it's different. Which it, Charles Leclerc seems like he could take down anyone he gets set to race against. Yeah, there's the there's the like the romantic aspect of like, hey, this is your this is the this is the first guy that can win the Monaco Grand Prix was actually born and raised in Monaco. Of course, there's that link to the late Jules Bianchi. His number 16 was one away from Bianchi's now retired 17. Um, 
I would compare it's like the proverbial pros to Matt Verstappen said in the way that they race. And that's an exceptional compliment. Keep in mind, they were both karting rivals before Verstappen got the rocket ship way on up from Formula 3 to Formula 1. Mm-hmm. So that rivalry is about to be renewed. Like, in terms of getting, like, the best available prospect on the board, Sauber did just that. Like, if you're going to rebuild your team around anybody, you've got the best guy to do it. Yeah. And again, RJ said it before, he'd be the first Monaco Grand Prix winner uh, to be from Monaco since Louis Chiron in 1931. 1931. I like that the French came out there for the pronunciation of the 1931 <laughs> the first time around there. I thought it was Nico Rosberg in the three-peat. Oh, yeah. He, he, well, he never raced under a Monaco license. See, like, see, oh, who oh, saw that rule? See, oh, oh, oh. see that's, that's his problem. <laughs> Ask Kobayashi about that rule. Like, I think it counts. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right on that one. I mean, yeah, Charles Leclerc, no-brainer. No like, arguably the most exciting F1 prospect we've seen maybe since Hulkenberg or Hamilton. Like, the, the, the only part that I feel bad about that he's gonna be in a sovereign that's like the only part I feel bad yeah it, it, it's why I'm like not as excited as a lot of people are because I'm like you do realize he's gonna be in a shit box right and I'm like it's like enjoy all your 15th place finishes and it's, but at the same time it's also I'm just happy he's in F1 because that's where he deserves to be but my god I hope Salba and Alfa Romeo come together and get a slightly decent car Please, for the love of God. Um, Please don't be like the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and uh, and on the other side of the garage, the walk to first base in Marcus yeah. Erickson. Yeah, Marcus <laughs> Erickson. You're not, like, striking out, because Marcus will keep the car on the road. Um, he's deceptively a lot quicker than people might think, except on race day, and especially when the car is capable of scoring points. He's been getting better, although the cars around him seem to be getting worse and worse. It's fine. Like, if you if you get on the first base, like, you're still, like, in the game, but you realize that you just you just took Pascal Verline out of the game because you have uh, you have a you have a center pl- fielder playing first base, and that's weird. Um, and you could have brought up you could have uh, pinch hit for Antonio Giovinazzi, but he tends to kind of swing balls in the dirt sometimes. Aaron Judge does this a lot. Sorry, King. I know it's true, <laughs> and so so how how quickly do we pour one out here for not only Pascal Verline but also Antonio Giovinazzi, who's announced as their third driver. Oh, Sigh. yeah, he's 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 still in he's still in the game. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they kept Erickson on a, on a, a bit yeah. of a short lease for this one. Yeah, I, part of me wants to believe is that. Whether, you know, Alpha are trying to find a new buyer for the team. And if, if they're able to buy out the Swedish owners, it's going to be Marcus Eriksson gone. Ooh, spicy. Yeah. Like, it's, I, I find it hard to believe the other day. Like, this is going to be year five for Marcus Eriksson next year. Yeah, he's, season he's, five. He's done 76 Grand Prix already. I was like, what the... F-? I, like... Like he's done seventy six Grand Prix, he's not scored a point since the Italian Grand Prix of twenty fifteen, <laughs> and it's like he could be—he's going to be in the hundred club by the time it's all said and done, most likely, because it's just like has Marcus Harrison done anything of note in his seventy six Grand yeah, Prix of that, that, that team? Is, that is my argument to all the people who say, "Well, he's only a little bit worse than Pascal Verline," but it's like 
Well, he's been here for twice the amount of time that Pascal has been here. Yep. 76 Grand Prix. 76. So this means that one of that his uh, mechanics are just going to try and lock him in the bathroom and hope that he has to find the crawl space through the ceiling to get out. <laughs> because what the, we're basically the, saying the, yeah. is that Marcus Erickson is the Jeff Rancor of, uh, of Formula 1. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's going to be the... It's except- good. It's, it's, it's going to be the James May method. Every time they come up against a national Top Gear challenge, they just they, they, they sanitate James May and they put him in the back and hide him. Uh, it's basically, it's that now, basically, at this point. But uh, it's intriguing. I mean, I kind of knew that was going to happen. I mean, when Sauber revealed for their first Peretti test, that, you know, they're going to be bringing in Le- Leclerc for the test with Ericsson. I was like, well, that sounds ominous. Um, and next thing you know, Pascal's out the back door. And... Uh, I'll talk a little bit about him again in the Salba section, but that's a bummer, to say the least. And yeah, Antonio was the third driver. Okay, like, whatever, I guess. I'll, uh, so yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. We'll see how Salba turn out there with with Alfa Romeo as a technical partner. You know, I, I wonder if Gene Nass is going to be going, here's a look at what you could have won, like something out of Bullseye. Um, that, that, <laughs> could, that could be interesting. Um, but, uh, I'll save the Williams talk for the, their section and the team review a little bit, but we'll get to the last bit of news, and that is Ross Braun. Um, he spoke today about this, funnily enough, talking about that uh, he's now going to apparently going to be working with Herman Tilk to maybe make some adjustments to some of his circuits to maybe try and enhance the show. Um, as, you know, the key word of F1 these days, the show. Got to enhance the show, you guys. Um, also the same day it was revealed that Formula 1 overtakes are down 50% on 2016 I guess who called that one I'll give you a hint called it. <laughs> <laughs> called it called it last year he, he did call it last year like, I've I got to give Ryan King his due he doesn't get these right very often but when he does <laughs> I, have to, I have to rate him yes King saw this coming a mile away and uh, yeah Overtakes down by a half this year, and it felt like it for a lot of this season too. A lot of cars spaced out, not a lot of overtaking attempts. Um, King, do you think editing somebody's tilker tracks are the way to go about this? Because I don't think it is. No, because that's how we ended up with the, the tracks that we have in the first place. Tracks that we have in the first place were designed for you know late nineties, early two thousands cars. That's all we ended up with the. The what I like to call the the straights and hairpins formula, where it's like if we give them braking zones, they'll have to be overtaking. Right. Even though that we learned fairly quickly that wasn't the case. Just just give them lots of braking zones, you know, like like Valencia. That, that, that'll work out all right, you know. <laughs> Valencia or Abu Dhabi. Look, we have two long straights. Think of all the passing. Uh, like how we how do we deal with the rest of this stuff? I'll just put a street circuit star bit at the end. No one will notice. Like Korea, uh, <laughs> or Valencia, <laughs> or Abu Dhabi. The, the list goes on. I it's, will um, say this: like Abu Dhabi's first chicane is clumsy in any kind of car, whether that's Formula One or whether you're doing like Volkswagen Beetle spec race. It's it's ugly. I, I think that first chicane is not due to their there being a need for like an overtaking zone it's there being like there's no runoff right there. yes if you, that's that yeah, if you that's run some, off you're gonna go straight to the yeah, stand that's something that's that's been discussed before i say that sort of fatigiously now monza's first chicane on the other hand that's something that we could be like yeah 
if it means cut now curve grande can we can we just uh pave this over already can we do that next week please yeah. I, I, i'm okay i'm, I'm okay with this is surprisingly old and it's due to the fact that they designed like they designed monza to be the fastest circuit imaginable but the fastest circuit imaginable for cars in the late 1920s ah <laughs> bit out of date i think uh. So they're like, we need to put like something here to slow down the cars for Curva Grande. Speed them up again. Like, get, th- make them take Curva Grande at 210 miles an hour. It's a lot more fun. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> look, look, look. I've always wanted an oval race in F1. This is as near as we're going to get. Paint over that first chicane, damn it. Get rid of it. I'm here for it. I, I, I wholeheartedly endorse the removal of the first Monster chicane. If we're going to keep that shitbox on the calendar, at least you can do is make it a bit more raceable. I hate Monza. God's sake, <laughs> get rid of it. Uh, to, to, let's do what Tony George wanted to do. Let's let's bring back the oval. Let's bring back the oval. Oh my God! Yeah, put the put the oval on the chase. I have a feeling we've discussed this possibility before. It, it's <laughs> the oval on the chase. <laughs> hey, well, at least the flights will be a bit more um, seasonal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, That'd be f- yeah. Some tracks I feel like could probably use a bit of tweaking and alterations because they're still clumsy no matter what but ultimately what it's going to come down to is like yeah you know at the same time you can have very good and entertaining racing with plenty of on track and compelling action in the right cars uh one of the fun it it just doesn't fit all the time but RJ, think of all the lap records we broke. We had 10 <laughs> new lap records this year. That's, exactly. That's one of the things that no one wants to acknowledge here. That, like, it's a thing that they acknowledge in other sports, like track cycling, where they acknowledge that this is way too fast to be entertaining and they slow the bikes down. You would never hear anything like that in Formula One. We need speed. It, we need it goes deeper than that, though. It goes deeper than that, though, because if the gaps financially between the haves and the have-nots are so big, then inevitably the gap in lap time between the quickest cars and the slowest cars is going to be so big. <laughs> yeah. So when the, when, the, when the field spread is so big and you know the top three teams are a mile ahead of fourth and backwards, it's going to be very little racing between those three teams and, say, forcing Euro Williams. And I think that's a big part of it, too, is that from very early on in a Grand Prix, you see that the Red Bulls, the Ferraris, and the Mercedes are just a mile clear of everybody else, and they then there in that is... The end of any on-track racing, unless the top six start fighting amongst themselves, which we've not seen much yeah. of. Yeah, because like as as a callback to a very early episode of this show, that is probably one of the like key features of designing like any game to be good. That's why Monopoly is a terrible board game, Trey. <laughs> Listen, I will fight you on this, King. Monopoly is a perfectly good way of wanting to kill yourself over four hours of board play. <laughs> Listen, the only issue of Monopoly is like, okay, I must admit, right, I've kind of got off Monopoly in recent times. So, King, you may actually be kind of right on this one, begrudgingly. Yeah, like, the, the key aspect of any game design is the fact that you want to keep as many people involved in winning the game as late in the game as possible. That's why, like, the onside kick exists in, in like, American football and, like, other board games, like, pretty much are designed to keep as many people involved until the finish. Formula One's not work that, that way at all. Formula One is Monopoly, where, like, basically, if you don't get, like, two or three properties in your first turn around the board, you're going to lose. And, you that's know, that's... 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's like anyone that's played Monopoly will tell you this, and anyone that's played a lot like I have will tell you this. If you get like one or two properties on the first turn going around the board, you're not you're not winning. You're gonna be the guy with all the cash and no properties, and you're, and you're screwed at that point basically, because cash is less valuable in the mid game. See, I'm a nerd. I'm sorry, but um, <laughs> but, but um, to, to, to case in point for Lewis's point here. Abu Dhabi, last race of the season. The difference between fifth placed Max Verstappen and sixth placed uh, um, sixth placed Nico Hulkenberg, forty seconds. Kind of says it all. The difference between Verstappen and the winning car, forty six seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, will, it's a problem. I will also pull up one other statistic here, and this is the margin uh-huh. in Formula Two at the very same circuit on the very on the and the very same on the very same day. On the very same day between Charles Leclerc and Alexander Alvin, at the end of a very, very eventful race, that margin, that margin was just one point two nine three seconds. That race came down to the lap, lap, last lap pass. So you can have good racing at Yas Marina Circuit. Yeah, and I think that addresses a lot of people's concerns about quote unquote equalizing the field. That you. You won't have dominant drivers anymore. Good drivers won't win races. No, Charles Clark had one of the most dominant seasons of all time. He just won a lot of really close races. Indeed. And as, as we mentioned, Sochi is a bad track. Like, how could the support races have been there in previous years as opposed to F1 itself? And that was one that and it actually had a pretty good rushing Grand Prix earlier this year. Um, which kind of says it all, really. But, um, yeah, yeah. Rush had a good race. That's kind of weird still. Um, <laughs> that... that is an interesting one, and we'll see how that develops. Please go for the cars, not the tracks. You're busting your bollocks the wrong way around here, Ross. <laughs> Seriously, get your shit together. Right? They think people. They think people like the cars. I don't. I don't. <laughs> the tires are silly. They go too long. Like the races are all one stoppers, and they're hey, they're gonna be in seven different colors next year. It's pretty. Well, well, well. But there'll be two stoppers next year, so that's. I did hear that, and like that is a, yes. that is good news that Pirelli have realised. Oh, thank God, it's all going to be just boring fucking one stoppers all day. If you can get two to three, we're in the we're in business. So uh, yeah, you know that and pretty cutters and a hypersoft that won the pole by the way. So yeah, we're getting hypersoft tyres next year. <laughs> it's also something out of a friggin' video game. It's great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be looking a bit silly when we go to Monaco next year, and the super soft is the hardest tyre available. Yeah, right. <laughs> God. <laughs> yes, yeah, the super soft. Wait, that's the hard tire. Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only person to argue for this, but like, I wanted them to just like get rid of like naming every single compound and just like whatever you bring, it's going to be the soft, medium, and hard. Whatever you bring, yes. right? See, we don't need to know see, how, just just how soft fine, these are. But brand identity. Yeah, they want the yeah. branding. They want the branding. Like, they want to sell those wristbands. Yeah, they want to sell those wristbands and those keychains with no, the different colors on them. Dope. They are bad. No, no, they they have color edition Pirelli tires. You can get the sidewall. You can get the same like basic you know sidewall markings that they have on Formula One cars on your actual Pirelli road tire. <laughs> how, how much of a burke would you look like having that on the side yeah. of your car? It's like imagine trying to explain that to to like a date, for example. It's like. Oh, they're just like a Formula One card, he's. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're, someone pulls up alongside you in a convertible at the uh, traffic lights, and they've, they've, got, they've got a Pirelli first place cap on. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> and the person is Simon yes. Cowell in his Rolls Royce. Listen, listen, this Fiat Uno 
uh, with these brand new Pirelli <laughs> yellow sidewall tires makes me feel like I'm a prime Michael Schumacher, buddy. Yeah, my my old my old boss at my job actually has like the exact same flaming skull on his gear knob as Richard Hammond had in that fifteen hundred pound Porsche challenge back in the day. So I know defeated on this one. Don't do that, people. Don't have a Pirelli Formula One sidewall on your car because one day you're gonna have to explain that to your missus and she's going to hate you. Have fun with that. <laughs> so after this quick musical interlude, we'll come back and we'll start our main event of the evening, sort of. Well, one of them anyway. It's the F1 2017 season review. folks this is the grand adventure well maybe the grand tour so to speak <laughs> see what i did there but uh we we go down and up the field for our season review and uh, for those of us who didn't see it probably the same format as last year we're going to go team by team talk about them for a little bit and we'll throw some numbers out at the end because that's always fun who doesn't like scores apart from ign maybe so let's get into it let's go bottom to top because that's a lot more fun so back of the field 10th place, Sauber, Sai. Sauber. Sauber had three different drivers. They scored five points with a best finish of eighth, courtesy of Pascal Verline in the Spanish Grand Prix back in May. Oh, my God. I just realized <laughs> their best result came at a track with basically no overtaking. Yeah. And yet they finished in eighth. Yeah, amazing that. <laughs> and on a, but if anything, on that's a ringing endorsement. Track nonetheless, what the? <laughs> mm. uh, Very true. Yeah. So the, the first half of the season started off weird. Of course, Pascal had to miss the first two races with what turned out to be a more serious neck injury than let on. Antonio Giovinazzi did a very good job in Australia and did a less good job in China. Um, then Verlaine stepped back in the car, finished eleven by rain. 8th in Spain, and 10th in Baku, and that was pretty much it. They didn't get any closer to the points after Austria. In fact, their best finish for the rest of the season afterwards was Fairline's 12th in Singapore. Yes, and we do have to mention the, the ongoing saga behind the scenes of Sauber trying to negotiate uh, a deal with Honda to essentially become uh, the Honda factory team to replace McLaren, which eventually led to their team principal, Manisha Keltenborg, getting fired because the deal with Honda would have involved would have involved giving control of driver selection to Honda. Oh, oh, golly, yeah. So, so after all that, and you know, I'm I'm pretty much the closest thing to a Manisha Keltenborg stand on this podcast. I think she did a fine job given what she had. Yeah, um, she really did. They they, she, you could have done a lot worse, like. If they had got around to turn it, brought in Colin Coles to run this team, that would have just been like, <laughs> oh, if you, oh. you want to talk about just like firing women of color and replacing it with white male mediocrity, you couldn't get much better. <laughs> you couldn't get much better than turning around Caltenborn from Colin Coles. Thankfully, they did not do that. And they brought in Frederick Masur, who is actually a good team principal. 
Whoa, whoa. RJ's going to get like the hashtag not all white people in the comments for this episode when it goes out on SoundCloud. <laughs> How There's dare you, RJ? Give me giving a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I love this show. Never change. Uh, <laughs> but so, yeah, Manisha out of the door. I still remember their driver. Their drivers were, were butting heads as well. But I remember after, just before Baku, the story of them interviewing Marcus Ericsson and he was giving it the whole company line of, yeah, I'm sure the team is working really hard to make both cars really successful and they're doing the best job they can. They asked Pascal Verline to comment on this afterwards and then Pascal said, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the rumor is the the sticking point that got Manisha fired is it was if it was just over like driver control for one seat she would have stayed on but it was for both seats that would involve Marcus Erickson losing his job because Honda wanted to sweep the decks so she got fired because Erickson would have lost the seat and that probably would have put the team in a bigger pickle because they're losing not only Marcus but his enormous sponsor backing um, no, that- no 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 not sponsor backing his sponsors own the team yeah. That's uh, ah. that's basically, I believe that's Tetra Pak, uh, Longbow yes. Finance, like it's it's all just sort of like some Swedish Borg, and that's not yeah, to be because... not to be confused with Bornborg. What was that? What was that? Funnily enough, I still remember from his when he first came in the series, his time at Caterham. Uh, apparently, Tetra Pak did not want their like logos or branding anywhere on the car. I don't know why, but they just didn't. True that. Um, I do remember that. I think they had some sort of like food packing scandal going on back in their country or something, and they didn't want to be associated with it or something along those lines, if I remember correctly. But yeah, um, Verline was great. Ericsson was all right. You know, he was yeah. he was second fiddle in that team. This was basically a kind of a recovery year for Sauber in general. Somebody had to be at the bottom, and they were distinctively at the bottom, not by a million miles, but. They were the clear bottom feeders of the field this this year, but yeah, like someone didn't tell Longbow that the tank doesn't exist in Formula One. Can't get better by tanking, <laughs> right? Can't tank the season. Can't take the year off. You're not going to get the first draft pick next year, even though they well, sort of didn't get in charge. Yeah, of you say anyway. that, and they did get the number one <laughs> pick on the board. Yeah, yes. and funny McLaren, how that turns out. McLaren might have gotten the number two pick. Is this a good way to segue to McLaren Honda? Not quite. Yes, we'll, 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 we'll drop some scores okay. in there in a minute as well. Because in my post, I gave Sabra as a team a three. And, and I gave him a three, I gave Marcus a four, and I gave Pascal an eight. Um, that's, that's you know, for those who haven't seen my blog yet, buying the spoilers ahead, but, you know, go read it already if you haven't already. It's a lot more fun than just numbers. No, nobody reads reviews just for the scores, right, King? Right? Uh, I don't know. I know a lot of, like, respectable game reviewing sites that just don't give out scores anymore. I didn't get on that, uh, but um, yeah, uh, King. What, what number are you going to give for Salva then? Ooh, I'm a bit harsher than you. I want to give him two point five for the year. Ooh. Yeah, See. like, like that is the they're the basement team in my like hypothetical rankings. Yeah, uh, Pascal. Yeah, I agree. I would give him an eight. Uh, yeah, pretty much agree with you on the drivers. Yeah, RJ. Um, I will give Sauber. I will give Sauber a about. They were five. They met expectations. The expectations were that Sauber were probably going to be a distant last place team, and they met those. And they got some points early in the season. Verline, I give him an eight. I give him an eight. 
I give him a solid eight. Pascal Verline is going to find some employment. It may be in Japan next year. It might be good. And Marcus Erickson gets a solid five out of five. Marcus Erickson is basically, basically the Formula One personification of um, zero to one wins above replacement. Yes. Yep. He is the replacement level guy. Yep. Lewis, you got two cents on this? Uh, yeah, I'll give Sauber a three. Um, 2.5 of that is for uh, Pascal Verlaine. The other 0.5 is for the livery. Yeah, um, that works. That, that, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, Marcus Eriksson, I'll give a three. Um, you know, less said the better. Um, Pascal Verlaine, I'll agree on an eight. He deserves, I mean, it's worth pointing out Pascal Verlaine. It's easy to forget. We didn't even see him test all race until the third round of the season. Right. Uh, given how his year started out with the, the injured back in the race of champions. In brand new cars, um, Of course, the, the, because... You know, I was thinking to myself, I was looking through the results. Oh, Sauber got a result in Barcelona, but they tested there. But of course, Pascal Verlaine didn't. Um, so, yeah, I'll give Pascal Verlaine an eight. I think he was one of the underrated or sort of underappreciated drivers of the season. Agreed. Right, next up, ninth place, McLaren Honda. Oh boy, this is gonna be a this is gonna be a barrel of fun. Ninth place in the constructors' championships, thirty points scored. Um, oh boy, that's uh, best finish, that's not good, people. Best finish of sits um, at the Hungara Ring, courtesy of Fernando Alonso. Um, the the interest score battle was uh, was a solid seventeen to thirteen in favor of Alonso. So it was a lot closer than had been expected. Um, but yep. the story of the season really turned out to be how 2017 was going to be the year that McLaren Honda were really going to shake things up in their third year. And then something weird happened. They basically regressed to what they were in 2015. And then they basically just relived their last two seasons all in one season. <laughs> it's a very weird story. Yeah, like to put it into perspective, last year McLaren scored 76 points as a team and was sixth overall in the constructors. They They've were, dropped to ninth and they were yeah, decently they, midfield. Right. And like Fernando Alonso had a top five finish. He had a couple of good results in the top eight or so. Jensen had a couple of solid results in there too. It looked like McLaren returned in a corner. Oh boy, um, we 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 caught on quite early that Honda had regressed to the mean again and now have a total shit box again. But hey, again they got a little bit better towards the end of the season. Si- Nothing an orange livery wouldn't cover up. Yeah, well half of it anyway. <laughs> Go full papaya next year, McHonda. <laughs> full papaya. But um, yeah, like as you mentioned, Alonso had that phenomenal sixth place in Hungary. They had the fastest lap of the race as well. Shout out to that lucky fucker that had twenty grand at fifty to one that Alonso was going to get the fastest lap that day. You, I, I, I applaud your recklessness with money. Um, <laughs> that, that is just reckless. But hey, they also had five point scoring finishes in the last seven races. Stoffel van Dorn having a pair of solid sevenths in Singapore and Malaysia, and Hernando closing out the year with a tenth, an eighth, and a ninth in Mexico, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi, respectively. So. It looks like they're starting to claw their way back up. Oh, wait, they've dropped Honda. Who cares? Um, (laughs) Whoops. This wasn't the plan. Um, So, King, the McLaren-Honda era is over. Shall we pour one out now, or do we just, like, throw throw the champagne bottle in the water? Quick (laughs) retrospect. Opening press statement compared Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button to Alan Prost and Ayrton Senna. Who did that? That is, that is all that you need to do. Like, and it ended up ending because Fernando Alonso basically said, it's either Honda or me. 
<laughs> you mean Fernando Alonso had poor political foresight again? He never does that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he gave him the, it's him or me. It's him yeah. or it's me. And, uh, and like Zach Brown's like, Honda can only do so much for me. Talented racing driver, on the other hand, I could use him for other ventures. Yeah, like putting him on the best month-long holiday in Indiana we've ever seen. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, that was like genuine. That was genuinely enjoyable. And hey, we got one final send off for Jensen Button. Oh God, please don't talk about McLaren's Monaco weekend. Probably one of the best chances they had to get some sort of good finish. And then they had a double DNF that ended Jensen Button uh, pitching Pascal <laughs> Verline up into a tire barrier head first. <laughs> Okay, moments after he urinated in Fernando Alonso's seat as well. But I have to say, Jensen Button is responsible for one of my favourite stats of the season in that if you average out the qualifying results of every driver, Jensen Button is the best of the rest behind the Ferraris, Mercedes and Red Bulls because oh, wow. he raced in one race and qualified in nine. <laughs> oh, Brilliant. That's fantastic. <laughs> Ah, uh, Jensen Button, like, getting shaken off the ring rust by punting Vascar Verlein into the sea. It's brilliant. Like, that, that, is the, that was the most, like, brilliant, comedic Jensen Button comeback moment of all. And that's even more so often talking to Alonso live from Indianapolis telling me pissed in his seat. No, don't do that! <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I want to know, like, all the, the logistics and the equipment involved to make that live conversation happen just for that to be what got transmitted. Lewis, it's a Lewis, beautiful I thing. One up you here because Jensen Button qualified ninth in both of his races this season. One of them was in sports cars all the way on the other side of the Eurasian continent in an entirely different car. Yeah, we missed, we missed that in the news as well because he's going to be doing a bit more yes. of that next year. Yes, indeed. I, mean, I broke that news at 11 at night. I'm the first Go you. <laughs> got a scoop, y'all. I'm, I am an actual <laughs> journalist. Yeah, RJ got a scoop. Yeah. Round of applause for Mr. O'Connell. Yeah. Yeah. Jensen Button's going to Super GT full night time next year in a Honda. And it may be in an orange and black Honda. He may not even have to change Whoa. his basic attire. <laughs> Lit. Best of luck out there, well, on, on, the sub- on the subject of all of that, though, and uh, the link up with Fernando Alonso, it's kind of a, a measure of how bad McLaren's season was that perhaps the most noteworthy thing they did all year wasn't even in Formula right. 1. Right. Yes, and yeah. everything else that was also noteworthy involved involved Fernando Alonso rage quitting. <laughs> yeah, like in like in Belgium, where he basically faked a power engine failure so he could sit out in the last ten laps. <laughs> and in Bahrain, he openly said over the radio, "If I'm not like," he openly said, I, "It wasn't over the radio, but he openly said before the race, um, if I'm not in the points, I'm going to park the car.'" I mean, honestly, <laughs> same. <laughs> Ser- Fernando like, Alonso Ser- is very relatable, and that's why he's my favorite. <laughs> we knew we were gonna fight at this rate, RJ. You're like, like, oh dear, oh dear. But uh, yeah, one step forward, two steps backwards. It seems for McLaren Honda. That marriage is now over. They're gonna be McLaren Renault next year. Which, to be fair, like three years ago, you probably would have never put those two together in the same sentence unless they were banging into each other. But uh, that is now a thing. That is a strange thing. Are we sure it's an improvement, fellas? <laughs> like, um, like the way not the way Renault closed the year. Their reliability, it's not. Yeah, like it's like so. Don't get this straight. You dropped like the you dropped the actually semi-reliable car towards the end of its run, 
and down on power car for the up on power car that's down on reliability. Right. <laughs> this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, blame Fernando. Look at good look old at, Fernando. Look at this. This Ruby Tuesdays is a much higher class joint than this Chili's. We are going to have some fine dining here. So you better wear your Sunday best, and you better tuck your your napkin into your shirt. Yes, yeah. my, my Sunday best being like a five-year-old Darrell Revis New York Jets jersey. Right. Okay, okay. Scores on the doors. I had a two for their team rating because oh. they were they were the team that were actually. I, I'm savage. Like, yeah, it's a two because you know what. They were a midfield team last year, and they were a good midfield team last year. And they've actually somehow found a way to be even worse. But nobody calls them out for it, because McLaren's got the... They're, they're, they're the cool team now at King. Like they're, like, they're the ones with the cool uncle that takes you out on holiday and does all the cool shit. You know, it's, it's a nice distraction yeah, for like, the fact your team is garbage. Like, like it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing. Despite, you know, the Red Bull being so dominant and, like... Yeah, Red Bull being so dominant, there is only two British teams in Formula 1, Williams and McLaren. And one is completely mediocre, and the other one was terrible last year. No, I'm not taking this. I'm not going to I'm not falling for the Zach Brown Autosport owned Indy 500 Cheese Fest. 2 out of 10. Pound for pound, <laughs> they were the worst team in F1 this year. I thought they were going to get at least 100 points and have a chance to get into the top 5. They were dog shit. 2 out of 10, and I blame Fernando Alonso for it. The drivers both scored an 8 cuz they thought both drivers were pretty good. Like Alonso yeah. still is a really really good team leader. On track, at least, anyway. Um, and again, had a couple of really great results. Got in the points five times in the ninth, and then like the second worst car in the field. That takes some doing. And I had Stoffel as an eight as well. My actual pick for rookie of the year because Stoffel, I think, was very solid and on many occasions was better than Nando on the day. And that takes some doing, but no matter which way you slice it. Um, wasn't intimidated by the fact that uh, that Nando was in the other seat and was ahead of him in the drivers' championship for a good number of rounds as well. So yeah. I gave Stoffel an eight out of ten as yeah. well. In case one. y'all forgot from a couple of years ago, RaceDepartment.com alumnus Stoffel Van Dorn is still a really good driver. Yes, yes, he is. King numbers. Yep, I agree with you. Eight for both the drivers, actually, because I I was tempted to give Alonso a seven, but I'll give him eight. I'll give him eight. He was McLaren's still pretty good. A team, Claire's team two. Yep. RJ mm, four for Alonso because I'm not gonna rate him based off his Indy 500 debut, which was phenomenal. But we're just keeping it compartmentalized to Formula One. Fernando Alonso gets about a uh, seven and a half. I give the same. He got he, give, he got the undeserved Indy 500 Rookie of the Year status. You trust me, he doesn't need your pity on this one, RJ. <laughs> <laughs> I I scored him lower than anybody on the board so far, and I'm <laughs> I'm the hashtag Alonzo stand of this regular cast. Yes, you are. Stop, yeah, I'm very stop, proud of you. Stoffel gets a seven seven point five as well. The McLaren Honda. I would have given it a rating, but as I was typing up my my preliminary ratings, it seemed like uh, my laptop just exploded into a million tiny pieces. This seems appropriate. Of, of, of course. Um, <laughs> I, will, I will give it. I will give it a not classified. Just, <laughs> not classified. just like makes sense. Like half that yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 DNFs for McLaren under this year, by the way. Yeah, yeah. and that probably doesn't even include the ones where Fernando Alonso was still classified because he completed enough laps but didn't finish. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, in terms of, in terms of my red team, I'd give McLaren a 3. Um, they were, yeah, like I say, we keep, keep remembering they are McLaren. So yeah, they have been a midfield team in recent years, but still for McLaren, that's not good enough. Um, for their drivers, I've given Alonso an 8. And I feel like I've been a bit harsh on Van Don giving him a 7. Um, but okay. I still think that's pretty good. He, he started the season quite slowly, it has to be said. Didn't I get out of Q1 until Monaco? Um, but um, we've seen many a young driver, many a rookie, go up against Van Don Alonso in their first season and not come out of it the same driver. So for Van Don to do that is a as good a right. uh, and reference McLaren to the season than anything else. And borderline throwing him under the bus because his driving style that he learned in the junior formula basically it wasn't suiting what Formula One had become. Right. It's worth yeah. it's worth pointing out as well. Stoffel Van Dorn, fun fact, leader in the grid on grid penalties. Yes. 218 if over the course of this season, by the way, which I think was like 50 more than any other man. That other man being Fernando Alonso in second. You're shocked, aren't you? That would have been uh, good right. enough for fourth in the championship if you converted all those places into points. And he'd he, he started the Australian Grand Prix from somewhere in Russia. Right. Eighth place, place. Has F1 team, everybody. Like, this, the exact same spot they finished in last year. Eighth place, 47 points scored. Their best finish was sixth, and that was Romain Grosjean in Austria. Um, whew. Not much to really talk about with this team. Uh, is the first impression I come up with here. Like, it's just, you know... They were all right. Was that? Yeah. Is that all I can really say? It's like they, they were they were better than last year. They were a bit more consistent in the points compared to last year, um, and they're all right. Is, is that is that fair to say? You know, <laughs> I, I, yeah, pretty fair to say. Like the only really noteworthy thing to their season was Kevin Magnuson pissing a whole lot of people off. Oh my <laughs> god! So Kevin Magnuson gets the Haas drive. And, and here's the thing about Kevin Magnussen, is that he's a solidly productive driver. Poor Esteban Gutierrez can get no love because because he, he didn't have the car this good last year. But Kevin Magnussen, his credit, he pulled his weight. Um, he, he also seemed to... Uh, I have a theory on this because uh, Kevin Magnussen was the direct replacement for Pastor Maldonado when Maldonado's running ran out. And if you see Maldonado as a driver who's just there to cause chaos and... Um, uh, uh, carbon fiber atrophy on the grid. Uh, more power to you, I guess. I don't know. But if you subscribe to that theory, then I believe that I'm willing to double down in the theory and believe that Kevin Magnuson absorbed that um, sort of reckless elbows out style through osmosis. He's the dirtiest driver in F1, and it's not even close for me. Like, like yeah, he, he, he's the Ric Flair Formula One. Yeah, he's like he, he he's a heel. He doesn't give a fuck, and he told Nico Hulkenberg firmly where to place his mouth after Hungary, um, to say the least. Do we have any uh, confirmation that Kevin Madison drinks twenty beers a day before every race? No, 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 no solid. He, he can't be Ric Flair then. I'm sorry. No. It would explain a lot. It, it, it would explain a lot because some of his defending did uh, like a drunken man at times, like weaving throughout bloody Canada or bumping into Hulkenberg in Hungary, which, hey, you made Nika Hulkenberg a baby face. That takes some doing, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, good for Steiner, quite rightly called Hulkenberg a bit of a bully um, um, after that race. But uh, then, 
you know, Hulkenberg gave him the passive aggressive. Oh, well done, Matt. That was, that, was, that, was, that was really clean. You're the cleanest driver in the field. And then Magnussen tells him to suck his balls, honey. Um, which, of course, F1 fans took the ball, ran with it, and all had, like, suck my balls, honey t shirts ready to go by Spa after the break. <laughs> F1 fans, we're a productive bunch sometimes. Um, you know, uh, it's weird for a team that, you know, had problems with, like, getting the downforce and the braking and the handling their car right. Two points finishes were fairly downforce heavy. Monaco and Suzuka were the only two times where they finished with both cars in the points. Indeed, that is interesting. And, you know, I, 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 I mentioned this in my review, but we talk about Grosjean a little bit here as well. Like, Grosjean has become what I like to call baseline. That's my new nickname for him. It's baseline. Because if the car is good, Grosjean tends to be pretty good. If the car is bad, we're all going to know about it because he's going to moan about it on the radio for half an hour. And and that's Grosjean in a nutshell. Like it must be becoming a dad now, King. It's like it's made him it's made him cranky. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. But like, there's one interesting thing about Haas going forward that it seems that Gene is like really insistent on sticking this out on his own. It's like he's had chances to like lean on Ferrari a little bit. A little bit more than just an engine supplier in the last couple of years. And, well, they had Giovinazzi in there for a few practice sessions. Didn't actually take him on in the end. They were, I think they were one of the first teams to announce their drive lineup for 2018. They were sticking with Grosjean and Magnussen very early on. And, um, yeah. yeah, it looks like Ferrari's like leaning back towards Sauber being the support team. And Haas is kind of in no man's land now. It's kind of weird. Yeah, that's one of the weird things about teams like Haas, or like if you really like, it's down to the single individual leadership of Gene Haas in some situations. And if you compare this season to Stuart Haas in NASCAR, you see some startling similarities of Gene Haas deciding, "I'm going to do this on my own from now on," where he decides, "Yeah, um, Chevrolet, it's been good at all, but." We're going to go to Ford. Ooh. Well, and the irony is is that Gene Haas' NASCAR Ventures had, had been mediocre at best until he partnered with Tony Stewart, until he entered into a exactly. tactical with Hendrick Motorsports. <laughs> you think you've done this before, man. Exactly. Like, as much as I subscribe to the theory of stubborn American independence as a meme to mask the actual toxicity of what it's become nowadays. Yeah. Um, um, Gene, Gene, what are you doing, man? Like, you had a chance to sign Antonio Giovinazzi and didn't take him. You probably could have had Joseph Newgarden, but you you apparently don't want him, and honestly, Joseph doesn't need you. Yeah, like, trust me, F1's loss is definitely IndyCar's gain on that one, make no mistake, but... It looks like Ferrari are working more with Sauber, which kind of puts Haas in a tough spot because, hey, if the Alfa Romeo partnership comes through and Sauber are suddenly a lot better next year, Haas could be the last of the Ferrari runners, and that might not be good, Um, especially given Gina's Gina's already talked about as well the possibility of putting out in five years' time if the results don't improve. Or double down... Ferrari makes a double investment, and Haas becomes the Dodge Formula One team. <laughs> the Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Like uh, someone get Beth Perretta on the phone because this show is back on the road. Oh baby, <laughs> that's not happening. I'm giving Haas a solid sits. I'm giving Romain Grosjean a solid sits. I'm giving Kevin Magnussen 
a solid six. I'm pretty much kind of unfortunately having to throw in a towel on Romain Grosjean, ever realizing his potential as a Formula One race. Yeah, I'm tapping out on that one. I'm, I'm, I'm tapping out on that one. Like I said, Grosjean's a baseline guy. I don't think he's anything more than that at this point. I was penciling him in possibly as being the short-term, maybe Kimi Raikkonen replacement at 4i, but then you realize this year is just like, He's okay, uh, but he's never... He's, he's the new Nico Hulkenberg. He's never really anything more than okay. And, you know, which that's is, Which good. is kind of ironic, because when Haas started up, people were like, get Hulkenberg, not Grosjean. Well, you, yeah. you, well, you kind of ended up in a wash here. Yeah, and Grosjean is okay. I mean, I gave Haas 5.5, so about the same as RJ on that one as a team. I gave both their drivers a 7. I thought Grosjean was a solid team leader. And I still... I still think Magnussen, at his best, has a bit more upside than Grosjean does, which is, I think was, was probably why I was a little bit more generous if it's 7 yeah, out of 10. Yeah, he's 7 years I, younger. Yeah, and, and I remember as well that in Austria he was robbed of what could have easily been a top 7 or 7 or 8 finish with reliability when he was running really well all the weekend in Austria. But, you know, I think... I think the ten point difference is a bit of an exaggeration on that one, but yeah, that's that's all I've got. It King, what about you? Yeah, I give Haas a five. I give. Whew, oh, so he's, he's really. This is civil war we've got here. I'm like, uh... really not happy with this team at the moment. <laughs> you, you give you gave them both the. I I had six down. <laughs> I okay. six down for both guys. Listen, if you're a point out, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna criticize you for it for being a point out on this one. If it was more than that, I'm gonna be raising eyebrows, but you know. Uh, what about you, Lewis? I'd given Hass a five. I did up to the point for the uh, structural integrity of their T wings, which kept falling off. Hey. <laughs> but I've but but given uh, Roman Grosjean, I've given a seven. I'm, from memory, he was on course for a good result in Melbourne, wasn't he, in the only race of the season when his car broke down? Yeah, it did. Um, and did both, both Hasses. So, um, yeah, as, as high as a Haas qualifier all year. He was sixth on the grid there. Mm. Um, and Magnussen, um, I've given him a six. Um, I just couldn't bring myself to give him the same score as Grosjean. I think Grosjean's been a tad better though. Yeah, Magnussen, get your shit together. Stop, stop being such a dirty boy. Um, because he's actually really good when he wants to be. Just stop running people off the road, for God's sake. Right, next up, Toro Rosso. Seventh overall on this one. 53 points scored. Highest finish, a whopping fourth place. And a Who else is most gorgeous of the ten liveries in the field. <laughs> it is. Subject a a whopping f- yeah, wh- a whopping fourth place. Who else is it going to be from? Carlos Sainz in Singapore, of course. Um, I, I, like, I, this is, this, this is going to be an interesting uh, discussion here because uh, should we get this out of the way now? Carlos Sainz was frigging outstanding this season, wasn't he? <sighs> yes. Yeah, like I think that's. I think we could all unanimously agree that Carlos Sainz is at worst a driver of the year contender. This was, this was his coming of age season and one of the biggest carry jobs in the field. Really, really coming of age season. He was my driver of the year last year. That was you being a hipster king, and you know it. <laughs> Although, in hindsight, you probably were onto something there. As much as as much as I don't want to admit that publicly even though i just did damn it but um <laughs> yeah like carlos signs i think it's fair to say papered over a lot of the cracks in this team and let's address some of those here i mean let's be honest here Daniel kvyat probably shouldn't have even been kept for this year really i mean i thought it was a little bit puzzling when when christian horner announced oh yeah we're keeping him 
He's still only twenty. He's only twenty-two. You know, we don't think he's he's finished yet. It was clear though, quite early on, that he just wasn't the same guy. And you know, a couple of a couple of good drives. I mean, the the the, the Catalonia drive was pretty good from what I remember. Um, you know, finishing ninth that day, coming through the back of the field. Yeah. And you know, he's... arguably his best drive was the last one in Cota before he finally got the boot. Yeah, finishing tenth on that one as well. But you know, fifty-four points, and I'm pretty darn sure Carlos Sainz got like ninety percent of the team's haul yeah. this year. Yeah, it's... if you, yeah, and that was with six DNFs in all of that as well. Yeah, right. There's the six. there's the other problem with Toro Rosso is that they have the Renault engines as well. Um, they're good when they can be. They're they're kind of flimsy as well. Yeah, it's they're kind of flimsy. We had a lot of reliability problems with Toro Rosso, especially towards the end of the season. Um, Gasly and Hartley having their races compromised right from the start due to excessive grid penalties. Hartley was running eleventh in Mexico oh, before his yeah. engine. We just kind of skimmed over the fact that. Pierre yeah. Gasly, last year's Formula 2 champion, and Brendan Hartley, newly crowned world endurance champion, they got into Toro Rosso. Like, that's a pretty yeah. damn good team on paper. And they were compromised yep. from the start. And, of course, then Renault and Toro Rosso butted heads over, well, are you trying to fuck with us, basically? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, Renault was like, no, we're not. But then Toro Rosso was like, yeah, we kind of think you are, actually. <laughs> and then Toro Rosso was like, well, Renault was like, well, how about we just not give you parts for your last race then? And Toro Rosso was like, well, isn't that kind of proving our point? <laughs> and then, yeah. and next thing you know, you've got Dr. Marco and Cyril Habitable butting heads on live TV. It's great. It was drama. It was very, what's the millennials call it now? Spicy, uh, to say the least on that one. But uh, as you say, Carlos Sainz had 60 NFs in there and the team was pretty bad for reliability towards the end of the year that's mostly down to Renault really and Toros having to defend themselves at the end of the year saying well this wasn't on us honest um yeah if it had just been Carlos Sainz driving for Toro Rosso um they still would have finished seventh in the championship with 48 points it kind of goes yeah. to show you how how out of sorts Danny Daniel could be it seemed through most of the season after Spain and then, of course, how bad things have gotten by the by the end of this year. It's kind of like Toro Rosso had just thrown thrown it back to their minority days. The car is going to break down a lot. The drivers are going to be really smart sightings, and uh, they're probably going to be running somewhere at the back. Yes, pretty much what it was. Apart from Carlos, who was determined to lift that thing anywhere better than it had any right being, because basically. If the car was running well, Signs would put you in the bottom end of the points at worst. And that fourth place in Singapore was a, I think, a very worthy reward for what was a, a very hard work, um, incredible um, season indeed. Um, yeah, Daniel, I wish Daniel the best. I really do. I, I, like I said, I, I hope... I hope a series and a team takes him on that actually gives a shit about him. And as I don't mean to Euro NASCAR. Like, no, no, we can do better than this. Yeah, he's, we he's, can do he's, a lot he's, better, especially you know with with a Russian team that wants to invest in LMP1 Privateer, um, with with his experience in single seater racing. You know he can he can still drive. I'm giving Danny a, I'm giving Danny a four because it seemed like this was a driver who for most of the season. Looked like he didn't want to be there, and honestly, I've been in, I've been at jobs like that before, and it really did affect my performance very visibly. Uh, so I kind of relate. 
Indeed. What about the, what about the, what about the rest of the team? So then I'll do that. Now um, you're on it. You might Carlos as well. signs nine point five out of ten. He was Whew. stellar. Um, yeah. I will give Pierre Gasly a non-complete. Uh, I will yeah, give, same here. Yeah, Brendan Hartley also incomplete. Um, if we were judging it on their exploits outside, I give Gasly an eight point five and Hartley a ten. Yeah, can't argue with that. Me, um, I gave the team four point five. The team wasn't very good, and again, like how how good is a team if one of your drivers is scoring ninety percent of your points? And it, it was unreliable a lot of the time as well. And again, like I said, Carlos papered over a lot of these teams' issues, um, and then they lost him too, which which, which was not good either. But um, yeah, I, I gave Danilo three, and it's a harsh three. And I know it's a bit harsh, but again, like he finished behind Pascal Fairline in the championship, and it's oh, poor guy. Um, Carlos Sainz, I gave nine. I'd have given nine point five if it wasn't for his Bahrain EDC where he took out Lance Stroll. That was the only thing on me from going 9-5 on that one. The guy is phenomenal. He is up there with the very best in F1. And he is a spectacular talent. And I, I, I hope that Renault gives him a car that will really make him shine even brighter. Because uh, whew, the guy the guy's outstanding. He's absolutely exceptional. RJ, oh, sorry, sorry, King, how about you next? Oh, yeah. I got to give Carlos Sainz. Uh, go with nine. Go with nine. We're yeah. gonna go, not going to go higher than anyone else. Yeah. And I'll go, give Daniel Kvyat. Oh, God. Uh, I'll give him a six. It's like... A six? <laughs> a six, <Yeah>. King. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, uh, I was disappointed. I was hoping he'd return to the form that he had when he was, you know... Before he got replaced by Max Verstappen. Before he got replaced the first time. Yeah. Yeah, the, fir- yeah. the first time. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, you know, if, if Formula One was a sport about rewarding karmic balance, like, Danny Kvyat would have been would have been a driver of the year candidate and probably scored about 100 points in the Storo Rosso. But as we all know, right. Formula One is not a sport about rewarding karmic balance. Not one bit. No. No. And hey, hey, if maybe in real life Daniel Kvyat will find a winning lottery ticket like My Name Is Earl or something next week, that that that'd be nice. Like make it happen for Daniel. Lewis, what about you, mate? Uh, very very similar to the rest of you guys. Toro Rosso get a five, um, mainly because of Carlos Sainz. If I'm being honest, and yeah. I haven't scored the two uh, drivers who joined late on. Carlos Sainz gets a nine, and I'm going to give Danny Kvyat a hug. Uh, yeah, um, that, hug out of, of ten. Uh, how his season's gone, but if I'm going to quantify that into a score out of ten, he gets a three. Uh, it's the sympathy hug from the girl that when when, when yeah. she's dealing with the guy that says, "Can I have a hug?" and you just kind of give it to him. And <laughs> yes. it's, it's kind of just a tame. I was like, "We've all been there, folks. We've all been there." Uh, Renault next up on the list, sixth overall, fifty-seven points scored, best finish. Well, they finished in on, in sixth place on five separate occasions, believe it or not, Hulkenberg. Having four of those sixth place finishes, Jolian Palmer with the one in Singapore as well. Oh boy, um, like Renault was really wanted that extra six million dollar bonus, really because of uh, you know they snagged Carlos Sainz right at the end of the year, um, <laughs> and they basically accused Toros of conspiring, and then they go and beat them in the final round of the championship to take sixth place overall, thanks to Hulkenberg again finishing sixth. Six so six is coming up a lot here already, but. Um, I don't care what anyone says here. Like, of all the like, 
no one's talked about Nico Hulkenberg, and I think he was great this season. And I think he did a really good job of carrying that Renault team, especially given it had a dead anchor in Jody and Palmer on the other half of the garage. But, yeah, I think, I think that's it. I think it was difficult to quantify how well he was doing, given uh, he had Jody and Palmer in the other car. So it was very really difficult to sort yeah. of work out whether the baseline was Hulkenberg's performance, Palmer's, or somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once we put Carlos Sainz in the other Renault, we realised that the baseline was actually what Hulkenberg was doing. Yeah. And, like, again, he kind of neutralized the Carlos Sainz hype just a little bit when Sainz joined the team. I think, um, I think he was still a little bit better. I think he realized mm. that, you know, once they brought in Carlos Sainz, Hulkenberg was just like, right, I got to step my game up. And, and, it, and he did. Yeah, he did that. Uh, it's easy to forget. He was running fourth in Singapore before a hydraulic failure put his car out of commission, and he was running fourth in Mexico when his engine died. Um, it could have been an even better season for Nico, and we're putting him as a real driver of the year candidate. Maybe not quite on that level, but Renault is certainly a team that's definitely improved a lot, and they should have done, really, given this was their, their, their second year as a full factory. Uh, and, you know, this was a good season for him. Hulkenberg did a really good job leading the way. Um, they were running top six on several occasions. They were, you know, they were the best of the rest on on many occasions. Um, if you and that's effectively with one car. <laughs> yeah, if you extrapolate a lot of their qualifying results and the race results, they they'd be in a lot better spot. Huh? They have like probably be in fifth place, but reliability is still suspect for Renault. Um, yeah, their it's uh, power disadvantage is also suspect as well. People kind of indeed this is also very visible. Um, they're really going to have to take big strides in 2018 if they want to go ahead and elevate themselves back over where they should be in Force India, over Force India, over Williams, over the rest of the pack. Indeed, um, as I said on my season review post, I said, "Listen, this goodwill is not going to be is not going to be here next year. They're going to expect results." Like I said, they're going to be thinking about podiums for next year, really, because they they have the potential to be right up there in the attrition heavy rounds. Yeah, shit, they're going to be you shit. Th- Nico Hulkenberg is not thinking about that podium. It hasn't been weighing on him like a like a damn uh, the weight of a damn car on his neck for the past seven years. Like an yeah, actual it's... car, he's wearing a car as a turnover chain. Poor guy, and uh, this is a guy that's now had 137 Grand Prix without a podium, the longest of any driver in F1 history. Poor dude. Will his time ever come? out for Adrian Sutil. Yeah. Adrian, you're no longer famous for something anymore. Apart from your missus. Bad luck. Bad luck, mate. Um, but um, in the meantime, uh, let's let's put some... Like, let's, should we talk about Jolien for a little bit here? Like, I think it's only fair we talk about Jolien for a little bit here. And um, really there to talk about when Hulkenberg was getting into Q3s, Palmer was missing Q1s. His best drive came when the writing was on the wall for his career. Jolien he was Palmer already sacked. Had, yeah. Jolien Palmer, was, Jolien Palmer was good enough to win the GP2 Series title in his fourth year, good enough to get a drive with a Lotus team at the time that was pretty much out of money. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, he was going to be on a very short leash this season, and unfortunately, he didn't see out the rest of the year. Jolene Palmer could... Yeah, he was... Yeah. was Jolene Palmer could still bring value to a, to a team somewhere in the racing landscape. It's just not going to be with a factory Formula One team, and that's fine. Yeah, I don't... I'd almost forgotten that he compared quite favorably against Magnussen last year, but once you put him up against a guy of Hulkenberg's caliber, he was just way out of his depth. 
indeed, like throwing his team under the bus in Australia certainly didn't help either right out of the gate. Um, and, you know, he kind of became a meme on the internet because I've always, we told this on one of our earlier shows, King, that F1 always has to have a whipping boy at any given point. And sadly, Jolian Palmer had embraced that role this year. Sorry, sorry, Marcus, you're far too boring for this. Jolian, you're the guy that makes all the quotes. Roasted me on Twitter that one time, which I'm still not proud of. Um, and basically became the meme of, you've got to stay alert on the street circuit. Oh, boy. <laughs> and also the meme of, also the picture of him looking at his phone in his car with, like, this wide-eyed expression, like, shit, they dropped me for who? <laughs> <laughs> then the Renault having the cheek of not only dropping him without telling him first but then also asking him to take a buyout so he could get out of the car early take the buyout oh oh that's that's cold Renault that's cold but hey he'll still have Singapore his one and I think was his one point scoring drive for the year his best finish I believe for his entire career was a sixth in a factory team yeah, uh, sigh. Okay, scores on the doors. For me, I gave Renault a 7 as a team. I think they were pretty good overall. Definitely the most improved team of 2017, in that it kind of should have been, but still. And again, Hulkenberg is a, is a heavy factor in that score. I gave Hulkenberg an 8.5. I think he was very good this year. Any people that still tells me Hulkenberg is not capable of a top-end seat, he is. I don't care what you tell me. <laughs> he is. Um, Hulkenberg is an 8.5. Jody and Palmer, a 3. And less said about that, the better, I reckon. Um, Fellas? Renault get a 6 from me as a team. Hulkenberg gets an 8.5 from myself. This was the best driving he's done since 2013. And Agreed. Kind of, kind of looked a little flat in 2016, I'll be honest. He did. He um, did, yeah. Jolien Palmer, uh, Jolien, you're a, you are a, you are a three, you're three and a half, my dude. Please I thought it was a P45, personally, but, you know, three works too. <laughs> King? Yep, I gotta give Renault as a team, seven. Gotta give, I'm gonna give Nico Hogenberg uh, an eight. Yeah. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give Jolien Palmer a three. Mm. Fair enough. Lewis? Yeah, I've been the harshest of the lot with uh, Julian Palmer. I'll talk about him a bit more when we get to the awards, because I've nominated him for a couple. Ooh. Um, but uh, as far as the team go, Renault get a 7 from me. Hulkenberg, uh, I counted 12 times Hulkenberg got into Q3 this year, which given that he had the 6th best car on the grid, is, is quite some going to make Q3 more than the not. And he was deep um, in Q3 so a lot of those times. Like, he was in the top 6 or 7 on a lot of those occasions as exactly. well. Exactly. He wasn't just scraping in. He was getting easily into Q3. I've given him an 8 out of 10. Um, I'm starting to think that's a little bit low. But 8 out of 10 for Hulkenberg. Julian Palmer gets a 2. He gets Ooh. the at least you showed up score. <laughs> the, the, the at least you tried score from Julian Palmer. Oh dear. But yeah, seems about right from where I'm sitting. Next up, we're into the upper half of the field. Williams Martini racing. This is going to be a barrel of laughs. Uh, champion position fifth, 83 points scored, so a significant step up from where Renault ended up. 83 from them. Best finish, of course, that Lance Stroll podium in Baku, and that photo finish where he was robbed of second. God damn you, Valtteri. Why do you not like fun? Um, <laughs> um, where do we start with this one, guys? Because you know what, like, 
like I'm gonna spoil this a little bit here. I gave the team a five out of ten because they were just so average to me. Like I don't know what to make of this team at this point. It's um... it's like. I put the biggest weakness, lack of direction, and that's what it seems like Williams are at the moment. And that's that's very strange for a team that just brought in one of the architects of the Mercedes-AMG dynasty in the offseason and Patty Lowe. Indeed. Hmm. That's a very good point. Like, this team, like, I don't know what to make of it now. Like, Felipe Massa was about on par where he should have been. Just outside the top ten, he had 43 points overall. You know, many times in the points, got the best out of the car on multiple occasions. Yeah, if it looks like Massa is is like dilapidating and becoming, haha, Massa's trash. Yeah, the car is slowly dilapidating around him as well. Valtteri Bottas went through a similar thing in 2016. They're not what they were in 2014 when they were genuinely in the running for some wins because they decided, right, fuck downforce. Let's just uh, let's just go all in on these high speed, low drag tracks. And uh, bank all the points we can. No, they're not that anymore. No, and uh, um, this was—it doesn't help that this was a year where Force India basically doubled down on their fourth place with one of their probably their best ever year in Formula One, and they kind of kicked Williams to the curb. Really, their reliability wasn't particularly great in the early parts of the season as well. With Lance Stroll, he didn't. It took him a while. But, I mean, it took him till his home round to score his first points. He started the year with with four DNFs in the first six rounds as well, which didn't exactly help. Um, none of them really being Lance's fault. He was taken out in Bahrain, also by Carlos as well, which, you know, he had a difficult start, but I know one of us on this show stand a lot for Lance Stroll, and um, I'll give you a hint. He's, 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 he's the regular on this show, and he's from Tennessee. Hey, hey. Who could, who could um, I'll, I'll, I'll take over this one, yeah. Um, I was expecting Lance Stroll to... I was expecting Lance Stroll to outperform Felipe Massa. It didn't quite happen like that. Um, Because driving a Formula 1 car in 2017, especially when you jump out of Formula 3, is really tough. Even if you're a driver who's won three junior Formula championships in three consecutive years. Lance Stroll, Stroll, uh, he didn't start the season off very well. Admittedly, most of it wasn't his fault. He was very much a lot of valleys with one definite peak. The potential is there. He's still just Definitely. 19 years old. Now, granted, he does have to eventually realize the potential over his second and third seasons because Formula One has proven to chew drivers up and spit them out. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I was quite impressed by Stroll this season. I mean, this is going to sound awfully sort of cliched, but to say it was a season of highs and lows for Lance Stroll. Um, I mean, when he was, the lows were really bad, but I think the highs were higher than anything Felipe Massa did. Yeah. Uh, in the same car. I mean, the, the podium in Baku was the standout one, obviously, and it wasn't a result he reversed into. You know, he, he was quick throughout that race, and I mean, he was within meters of finishing second. Um, but we forget, he qualified on the front row at Monza. He did. Um, Lance Stroll. Um, you know, he, on his best days, he was better than Felipe. And yeah, Felipe Massa, much like Roman Grosjean, is at that stage of his career where he's a very good baseline for a rookie driver in that he's 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 not quite Hamilton, Vettel, Alonso good, but he's good enough to give you a good read on how quick the rookie is in the other car. Um, and I think Felipe Massa has got to that stage now where he's retiring from Formula One and Lance Stroll, as, as RJ said, is still 19. And uh, the older he gets, the more experienced he gets. 
those good days that we saw in Monza and Baku will become much more frequent. And I think he's going to be, I think he's justified Williams' faith in him because uh, yeah, he was getting a lot of unfair criticism early right. on, Some, yes. given, his, given yes. the, uh, the financial assistance right. he got financial to Formula 1. I, 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 but as I, said, I, hope, I openly admit some of that may have come from me. <laughs> as, as, I, as I've said, though, you, you can have a half a billion dollar fortune to get you to Formula 1. None of that can buy you results. Indeed. Yeah. And yeah, like this team going forward, though, <laughs> Massa. I mean, Massa. They effectively forced out the door. Let's be let's be honest here. Like, it, I think Massa, being the good sport that he was for, sort it. I'm going to make this look as good as possible by retiring again. Um, and they were actively shopping his seat during the off season or during the summer break to Paul De Resta and Robert Kubica, who. Let's be honest here, Paul De Resta probably isn't F1 quality anymore, and it's an uninspiring potential replacement, and the writing was on the wall for Felipe quite early on this year. That, hey, like They were probably like quietly saying, Felipe, could you do us a solid and, just, and like retire again so we don't have to let you go? Because they, their eyes got wide over Robert. Like, there's no argument here. They were giving him test drives. They were actively shopping Massa's seat around. We've, we talked about it on the podcast earlier this year already. And here's the ironic thing. Now there are worries about Robert Kubitz's actual long-run pace after his test is, so maybe it's not him. Maybe they're going to shop. They're, maybe they're going to do... They're, maybe they're going to do the thing that justified them bringing back Felipe Massa in the first place. They're going to do the opposite now and shop their seat to a driver who, under Williams Martini's... Um, strict and rigid 25 years in age and older mm. yeah there it looks like the number one candidate now is sergey sorotkin who does not turn 25 right. until the year 2020 yeah. is, is this a hard and fast rule or not martin I, make it, uh, fucking it, <laughs> it is a rule across the entire alcohol industry like right it's a, it's a self it's a rule self-imposed by the industry itself so is they, it though, so, or is it, or is it in Williams' case a cover for the fact that yeah, we want a driver, we we would like a young driver, we just like to have him a little more money. Uh, I think it's, I think it might be an issue with Mark. Like they might have an agreement where it's like, yeah, we will still sponsor you, but because we can't use the driver in like the driver can't be a spokesperson for the company, you're gonna get like a sponsorship cut. Yeah. I guess that makes sense, but hey. again, like I don't know. I just uh, know the rule is you can't you can't be a spokesperson for for an alcohol company if you're under the age of twenty five, and it's still Williams Martini racing as far as we're aware, which is kind of a problem. Hey, Alfa Romeo, um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they'll be able to take Bottas back. Hey, who <laughs> Hashtag bought us out. More on that later. But um, yeah, but uh, scores on the doors. I have the team scoring a five, as I mentioned earlier. I gave Massa a seven, and I gave Lance Stroll a six point five. I think that was about right for what they, for what they were. The team was average. The drivers were pretty good. Um, Lewis, what about you, mate? Uh, I've given Williams a six. In fact, I've given sixes across the board. Six for both drivers. Yeah. Um, two at very different ends of their careers. They ended up scoring very similar points. Um, but yeah, for Williams, it says it all that they were 45 points down on 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a team that's very much regressed. I give, the, yeah. I give Williams a 5.5 out of 5. Um, this is mediocre by their recent standards. By the standards of some years they had before the Martini-Williams era, like 
Ooh. Trust me. In 2013, Ooh. they would have killed to have 83 points. Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, both Massa and Stroll get sevens across the board. I agree with Lewis that Lance Stroll's peaks were higher than Felipe Massa's, but the Indeed. valleys were much lower. That's kind of to be expected yeah. for a driver who has 15 years of experience matched up with a driver with none going into the start of the season. Indeed. That's King? Fine. Yeah, I'm going to give him five. They're just bang on. Like, I was a little bit disappointed because I really didn't think force like they were going to lose out to force india over the course of the season but i was disappointed i was let down they get a five drivers though they did the best with what they had sixes for both of them cool next up it's the sahara force india f1 team their best ever point scoring total they were fourth in the championship again 187 points this time around Again, an enormous step up. They could have run one car all season and they still would have finished fourth in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, and this is probably the second or third season in a row where we started the year saying about Force India, they can only go down from here and yet they've gone up. Yeah, best finish, fourth place, Sergio Perez in, Cat- in Catalonia. Amazing, that's their only fourth place. Like They didn't have like the usual Force India freak podium in there. Like They normally have a habit of shitting out every once in a while. But... Um, yeah, a ton of top six results across the board. Now, I said it last year, though, they were my team of the year last year in Formula 1, and, and for, spoiler alert, they're my team of the year this year as well. They've retained their status on this one. And yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, and Lewis summed it up better than I ever could. Like, every time you think they're going to hit the wall, it just doesn't happen with this team. What an outfit. Like, almost everything about this team was on the money this year. They were better than what they were last year. They were the clear best of the rest outside of the big three. Um, They probably would have cracked 200 points if it wasn't for a couple of um, questionable incidents with their drivers. Um, More on that in a bit. But overall, King, this team just keeps getting better and better. (sighs) Yeah, it just keeps getting better and better. Like, literally, the only thing I could foresee them taking like them being taken down as if like something were to happen to their ownership which hopefully shouldn't happen like if they like if anything happens they can find a new owner and just keep trucking along that might be for the best going forward as it as it goes because uh vj is always in a little bit of trouble with the law it seems but uh rj you're one of the guys that really batted for esteban ocon this year and um hard to argue he wasn't anything less than stellar this year esteban ocon was the was the um, was the pillar of consistency. He reset the the record of most consecutive finishes to start a Formula One career, which ended 27. in Brazil. But other than other than that non finish in Brazil and an anonymous twelfth place in Monaco, where the car just doesn't work right around there, he finished uh, eighteen out of his twenty races in the points. Sergio Perez finished uh, seventeen races in the points. Yeah, they didn't have that podium finish, but they were consistently scoring on a clip. And we also talk about the fact that they scored. The coolest 11th hour title sponsorship deal with BWI yeah, and their cars. <laughs> oh, that's, it's a beautiful car. That's the, uh. that's the best look. That's just the best. It's, it is one of my favorite F1 liveries of recent years. It is a beauty. I do love that Force India. And yeah, Perez is worth mentioning as well. Back-to-back 100-point seasons for Perez. Again, he had 100. I think he had 101 last year. He's had 100 this year. So again, about the same sort of level for him. Could have been a bit more, I reckon. I... I've, I've said it on my season review. I think he was that to foot the, the lion's share of some of the blame for their 
clashes on the track. We had we had a big one yeah. in Baku. He was a bit of the. He was very mouthy and borderline dangerous in yeah. Canada. Spa and then, and, was another yeah, one. And then by the second half of the season, this started becoming Ocon's team with Perez as the number two guy. When at the start of the year, it was Perez's team with Ocon as the number two. Yeah, it's kind of crazy how that one turned out. Perez still ends up beating Ocon on points by thirteen overall, and he was he, he took he was ahead of Ocon eleven times out of the twenty races um, over the season, but. Yeah, like Perez is still really frigging good, and on his day, is, is he, he is still Mister I'm always in the right place at the right time, sort of guy. And yeah, again, more a bit more consistent this year. Maybe not quite the ridiculous upside of Force India in the past, but uh, another overall really solid year. Just please don't get into each other as much. Don't don't do please. that like you did in like in, in Baku and in Canada before then, and then Belgium again. Don't don't put me through the stress. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, but yeah, what can we say about the team that hasn't already been said? Like they're my like I have not scored a team higher than this. Nine out of ten for the team. Again, they couldn't ask for more. Again, it might have been a nine five if it wasn't for some of the way they handled their drivers on track. Um, team orders coming into play for the second half of the year was is, is you know it's never ideal to say the least. Um, Sergio Perez, I'm, I put eight point five in my bar. I'm going to knock half a point off on that one. I'm going to take him down to an eight for some of those driving incidents on track. I mean, don't hit your teammate. You hit him three times, mate. Come on. Um, and Esteban Ocon gets an eight point five. A very sneaky driver of the year contender as well. I mean, consistent, outstanding, mature beyond his years. Everything you could want in a twenty-one year old racing driver. Hmm, maybe that Mercedes seat in his future. Just a thought. Um, RJ, what about you, mate? Um, I give BWI Sahara Force India F1 team a 9.5 out of 10 as an organization. Um, sure. That they that they retained their place and did it by scoring more points and doing it more consistently. That's astonishing for a team that right. effectively has their, their team founder on the lam. And being run by by a bunch of deputy team owners, which is ideal, honestly, it really is. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> I will match Dre's score. Sergio Perez got an eight. He was much more consistent. He didn't really pop up with any one of those out of nowhere Sergio Perez podium finishes where everybody's just like, "Whoa, how did that happen?" He's had seven of those now in his career, and nutter. <laughs> yeah, Esteban Ocon. I will. I will give him a. I will give him an 8.5 as well. I'll match Dre's scores as well. Um, Esteban Ocon still has a lot of ceiling yet to reach. He's still only 21 years old. And he's as good as anybody in the top half of the field right now. If we can ever get Max Verstappen and Esteban Ocon and Charles Leclerc battling it out for titles, oh my goodness, Liberty, you are set for life. That is the that is the future right there. That is a that, that could be the future. That could be a beautiful thing. Oh my desk! King. My desk just lifted about three inches. <laughs> <laughs> How did you do that? How did you do that without using your legs? Um. <laughs> like, uh, okay, I have to match RJ. This team has to get nine point five. The only thing keeping wow. him out of getting a perfect ten. I would have gave him perfect 10 if somehow they were able to finish in the top three. That was literally the only thing keeping them away from perfect 10. They're not miracle workers down there exactly. in King. That's <laughs> the only thing keeping them away from perfection. Fair enough. Esteban Ocon. 
I have to give him a nine. Because wow. For so this mm. is his first full season in Formula One. Yeah, that's that's perfectly fine. If anything, when I was writing it today, I was thinking, do I give do I go eight point five or nine? So yeah, like I was I was thinking the same thing. And and Checo. Checo, I'll 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 give him I'll give him the the eight and a half. I'll give him the eight and a half. Wow, yeah, average score across the board nine nine. That's that's pretty good going there. Lewis, what about you, mate? Identical scores to King. Nine point five for the team. I give Perez an eight point five and Esteban Ocon a nine. He is seriously good. Yeah, can't argue with that in the slightest. I'm not, I'm normally the generous one, which I find is a little bit weird. <laughs> oh, and we do have to mention. Uh, he does have the record. Esteban Ocon has a record for most consecutive finishes from the start of his career. Twenty-seven Grand Prix. Twenty-seven. God damn you, Grosjean, and your punches. Um, <laughs> get right into the top three, the big ones. Next up, Red Bull Tag Heuer Racing. It's still weird calling them Tag Heuer. Uh, anyway, three hundred and sixty-eight points scored. Yeah, kind of a you know, kind of a gap there between them and the big three. We kinda mentioned we kinda mentioned that earlier. Three hundred and sixty-eight points, three race victories this year, one from Daniel Ricardo in Baku, two from Max Verstappen in Malaysia and Mexico. The fun fact that RJ Point out went in the air. They had thirteen podiums this season, nine from Daniel Ricardo, only the big three in the championship having more than that, and Max Verstappen having four. They also had as many DNFs. 13 DNFs as a team, which is, it makes you kind of wonder what could have been with this team, because they were 150 or so points behind Ferrari. If they could convert half of those reliability failures into decent results, then they could have dragged Ferrari down and made this a lot more interesting than a fight for second. But do you still not think their car was slower than you thought it would be? I mean, at the start of the season, when yeah. the regulations changed to what was much more of an aerodynamic formula, that was expected to suit Red Bull down to the ground. And yet they... The, the position they were in and the competitiveness of them at the end of the season was kind of how we thought they were going to start the year. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's largely due down to the fact that this is really the first time that we've seen a major, you know, regu like aerodynamic regulation change for Red Bull post-Adrian Newey. Adrian Newey's ah. not a full-time employee there anymore. That's a very good point. Yeah, Adrian Newey's no longer the, the god of, of, of aerodynamic car design anymore in that team, and it, it kind of showed. Um, and yeah, they were, they, as a result of all these DNFs and what they were kind of stuck in a constructor's no-man's land, obviously way better than Force India this year, but not good enough on a consistent basis to challenge Ferrari and Mercedes. Um Talking about the drivers a little bit, though, I mean, Daniel Ricciardo, still exceptional. I mean, nine podiums this year in the third best car is a hell of an effort. And I'm glad he did get that win in Baku because, again, it was one he kind of deserved for the effort he'd put in. Um, of course, when, when the shit hits the fan, Daniel Ricciardo wins. It's kind of the way with, with, with Daniel Ricciardo these days. And, you know, now I've got the new people's champion of Formula 1 because everybody loves Daniel Ricciardo um, at this point. Yeah, as about that win from 10th on the grid? Yeah, from t like it's, it's Fernando Alonso at Valencia 2012 all over again where he won that one from 11th. Um, again, just because of everything going on in front of him. Um, Ricardo wins because of course. And, you know, like, it's, it's funny. It's like, King, is there a more like complete driver in terms of ability and personality than Daniel Ricardo in F1 right now? Like, the guy's gold at the moment. <laughs> yeah, pretty much like, the only comparable drivers I'd put him up against would be 
Joseph Newgarden and Lewis Hamilton. Like those are like the only two really guys who can match him town like pound for pound in terms of like genuine person to person marketability. Yep. Marketability, marketability, and That's ability on, on track. Danny Rick filmed an Instagram video of him dropping the C bomb on Prez forty five. <laughs> My man. <laughs> yeah, Danny Ricardo is still responsible for me for one of the quotes of the season when he was sat in the press conference with Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel, and he said, "Well, between us, we've got eight world titles." <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! It, you know, it's kind of a shame that he ends up finishing fifth overall in the in the drivers' championship because again, he had three mechanical DNFs in the final four races, and Ricard and that, Kimi Raikkonen having his best run of form at the end of the year with a third, a third, a third, and a fourth put him above Ricardo in the in the drivers in the end. So Raikkonen was five points ahead of him. Ricardo just cracking the two hundred point mark on that one, which is actually his, his weakest season since 2015 uh, in terms of points scored. But, uh, yeah, overall, still an exceptional driver. We've got to talk about Max a little bit as well. And Max, oh, still a little bit reckless, still a little bit on edge. He, he, he had the lion's share of the bad luck in, in the first half of the season. But, of course, he finished really strong. And yeah. uh, those over two dominant last, wins. Over his last six races, a win in Malaysia, a second in Suzuka, a fourth at Coda, a win in Mexico, a fifth in Sao Paulo with the fastest lap, and a fifth at Abu Dhabi. Yeah, hundred and sixty. He doesn't like that place very much. He doesn't like the stewards there either. Um, but yeah, Max is still as captivating and as entertaining as much as anyone in F one. And I again, I think that the one sixty eight in terms of points scored is a little bit of a disservice to him because yeah, he had a couple of reckless incidents where he took out his teammate in Hungary. Um, for being the biggest one of those, really. But besides that, like, I think his upside over Ricardo is starting to shine through. And I think next year with those two, it could be very interesting yeah. to see how they turn One of in. the things he needed to turn yeah. a corner on in the middle of 2016 was his qualifying pace. He got that turned around. Um, I did. said at the start of the season, Max Verstappen needed to become a more complete driver because Ricardo had the edge in him in qualifying. The racecraft was still comparable, but Max Verstappen needed to get ahead on the grid, and he did just that. And there were times this season, it, it's really going to be, they re- what they really need is for both cars to be running because, and I don't know who brought this up, but it seemed like at one point Red Bull could only fund one car that actually worked right all the time. Right. <laughs> I'm just running it through my head now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Only eight times all year did they have did they have both cars finish a race out of twenty. That's just not good enough. And that's you're never gonna win a title on that sort of form, not even close. And it showed. I mean that's why they were you know, they were blanket fifth and sixth this year. They were the third best car overall, not necessarily in terms of pace, but the overall reliability dragged them down a a half step, and that's probably what's cost them big in the long run here. Um, overall ratings as a team, I'm going to give them a six as a team. Because mm. um, this was about where they were going to end up, and they've had a mo- they've had moments of high side, but 13 DNFs on that level is completely unacceptable. Like that's like that is not on and you're never going to get anywhere close to challenging Mercedes like that and I thought they were going to be better than what they were they were kind of like that in the second half but not so much in the first so for me I think a 6 out of 10 as a team is about right um Ricardo I'm going to give 8.5 
he's still one of the three best drivers in Formula One for me. Um, again, did a very good job with, um, with the car, given some great results in there. Still a great overtaker and you know one of the most entertaining guys in F1. Just a shame that his car completely let him down at the end of the season. Um, completely shit him out on that one. Verstappen, eight point. I'm gonna go eight on this one. Half a point down. A couple of driver errors. You know, Max has still got to iron out some of the kinks in his passing game. Um, a little bit. Um, again, hitting his teammate off in Hungary was a complete no-no um, on on that one. But the upside is starting to poke through, and like I think Max in two years is going to be terrifyingly good. Now he's just still very, very good, um, and that's still good enough for now. I mean, those two are getting along great right now, but at the moment they're going to fight for a title. I don't think they're going to be quite so kind to each other in Santa costumes and parking deck chairs on Eau Rouge. Oh, just a, just a force. Yeah, it's it's once once a title on the line, um, I expect some expect some intra team fireworks. It's oh, gonna, yeah. it's going to be so stressful. It's going to be fun. Oh, I can't wait for chaos. RJ, what about you, mate? Um, I give Red Bull as a team. I give them, I give them a seven and a half on their best days. What? On their best days, they were one of the class of the field. They were on the best day. They were close enough to take the fight to Mercedes. Um, it's just they didn't have a whole lot of days, but they were to doing that. Okay. Interesting. What about the drivers then? Um, I give. I give number three, the Intimidator, uh, a good nine out of ten. Just just steady as a rock, especially through the middle portion of that season. I give number 33, the Bandit. I also give him a nine out of ten. This was a case of two drivers who really overdrove the limits of their car. Okay, interesting. I wouldn't have gone as high as nine on Max, but yeah, that's that's important. And like I said, Daniel Ricciardo, like there might he might be the best guy in the whole of the sport to build a team around right now. That's a thought going forward. King, what about you, mate? Uh, I'm gonna give them a seven. Like, pretty much a lot of their problems were down to the fact they were running Renault power. There was mm-hmm. part of it was their fault. Part of it wasn't their fault. They had so many retirements. Uh. Yeah, so it, it seven seems about right for me. For the drivers, uh, I'm gonna give Daniel Ricardo a nine, and sure. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him Max Verstappen a nine as well. He was he was that good when his car didn't fail him. <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Lewis? Yeah, I'm in agreement on the drivers. For the team, I've gone a seven point five. Um, just not reliable enough. Um, and you know they were the second best team last year, so they they've dropped a spot from from 2016. Yeah, both drivers, I give a nine. Um, Daniel Ricardo. Um, arguably deserved more than the one win he got and Max Verstappen was every bit as good as Daniel Ricciardo and better than him in qualifying just didn't have the luck to go with it um, and one of the drives of the season for me for Max Verstappen not either of his two wins but in a formula where you cannot really overtake to go from 19th to the podium in Shanghai was special God, that's a very for- good point we forgot, about- we forgot yeah. all about that it happened so early Okay, fair enough. I'm going to bump Verstappen up to an 8.5 because I did genuinely forget about China. That's a very good point. Um, fair enough. Um, I, I, I have no problem admitting being wrong every once in a while for that to genuinely forget China. Ferrari. Now, this is going to be an interesting one, isn't it? Ferrari. <laughs> based in Do you want me to Mar- tag out for this one, Drew? Based in Maranello, Italy. You shut your mouth, son of a Second overall... 522 points scored. 
Five wins, all from Sebastian Vellum, of course. Australia, Bahrain, Monaco, Hungary, and Brazil. Oh, where do we start on this one? <laughs> why, is everybody oh, look, why, why is everybody looking at me here? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start, I'll start. For me, Ferrari, their year boils down to it was a great year, but it could have been better. It, Yeah, it's... Like, I've, I've, I've always promised I'd get around to making this video about Ferrari season. I never quite got around to it. I might still do it over Christmas or something, but... Yeah, everyone's looking at me, the Vettel guy in the camp here, of course. Um, Vettel was outstanding the first 13 rounds or so. He was as good driving and consistent as he's ever been. Baku obviously being the one exception where his, his anger got the better of him on that one. This, and this is what I've got to remember here. This was the best any team has done against the Mercedes tyrant of the last four years. By a comfortable margin, this was the strongest any team has pushed Mercedes so far. But as King mentioned, it could have been even better. And it's going to be a... It, like the, the post-mortems after Singapore... Um, just the free flyaways between Singapore and Japan is what's going to kill this season. That's what's probably going to be on the dartboard for Mauricio Arvabene. During yeah, the off Vettel lost the title by forty six points. That's basically the points he lost in Singapore and Japan. Yeah, I would also it... throw in an underrated point here. What about the points he would have lost at Great Britain when he finished seventh after a late puncture? Yeah, a late puncture. yeah. Ferrari goofed. They, they like Ferrari goofed on that one. Tried to go for the one stopper and it didn't work. And yeah, again... Ferrari left a lot of points on the table. And Sebastian Vettel as well. He. Not through really any fault of his own. Um, you could argue perhaps Singapore, where he was more to blame than anyone. But he had a number of first lap incidents this year that cost him crucial points. Obviously, the main one is um, is the one I mentioned in Singapore. But of course, he lost his front wing on the first lap in Mexico, and he lost his front wing on the first lap, or damaged his front wing on the first lap in Montreal before he had to come all the way back to fourth. Damn you, um, Max! So, <laughs> so, so yeah, he like, would have certainly been higher than fourth there had he not done that. Like. Ferrari is what I'd like to refer to as as one of the one of the YouTube channels that we refer to a lot on the show. They were the champions of the preseason, and yes, it, it matters a lot more in Formula One than in other sports. But again, that alone can't win you the title at the end of the year. They had a good car heading in. They just number one. They couldn't develop the car as well as Mercedes. Number two, when it came down to race by race strategy, they were still behind Mercedes. Pretty much the only thing they beat Mercedes on was the preseason. Your winner. Um, yeah, quite right. In terms of the Drivers' Championship, usually in a Drivers' Championship campaign, for any driver, there is always a lull. Um, the big problem for Sebastian Vettel is that the man he was up against, frankly, didn't have one. Yeah. Um, and, and the one other note that we haven't really mentioned for Ferrari now so far, for very good reason, is the one line I've written, which was, poor number two cost them. It did. And... Yeah. Like, am I cons- am I fair to say as a consensus that Ferrari are like? Am I fair in saying this? That Ferrari can't win a constructors of Kimi Raikkonen in the second seat. Yeah, like if there was a year for them to win the constructors but lose the drivers, this year was that year. Yeah, like I don't think like Kimi was not terrible this year. Um, this wasn't the worst of his Ferrari seasons in the bag. Two oh five, not for not by a long shot. No, he was not terrible, but given that the car was better, Vettel stepped up to the plate. Kimi Raikkonen did not. And 
I think Monaco and Hungary summed it up better than I ever could. Where Monaco, a race where Raikkonen was in, was comfortably in the lead, but of course Sebastian showed a little bit more. They beat pits, they pit Vettel early, pulled out those two ridiculous laps, in, in, uh, and then we came out of the pits to, to leapfrog him and ended up winning the race by ten seconds. Um, that again, that was one. Hungary was the other one where Vettel had a damaged steering whack rack for the entire race and Raikkonen could not pass him for a win on a crippled Ferrari and that I think just sums up for me Kimi Raikkonen as to why like Ferrari need a better number two to really take the fight to Mercedes is he was not terrible he just wasn't good enough and that's kind of the problem it's it's pretty damning for a guy who's actually upped his points tally every year since he's been back at Ferrari Indeed. Yeah, and like, just to circle back to the beginning of our reviews, I think Ferrari are preparing a number two for that day when Kimi decides to hang it up, because I think that's the real issue here. That is, Ferrari can't fire Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi has to give up himself. They're not going to fire him again. Like, they bought him out in 2009. That was embarrassing enough, quite frankly. No, Uh, no, because the issue is that Pretty much as long as Sebastian Vettel is a Ferrari driver and Kimi wants to race, he will be at Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. they get along just fine. It's it's a perfectly symbiotic relationship. It's not going to win you much, but it's perfect. It, it's a perfect working environment. Yeah, like, t- to me, every world champion has a fatal flaw. We know, we know Lonzo's flaw is political ineptitudes. Lewis Hamilton can, you know, go off the rails sometimes. With Sebastian Vettel, it's him and his teammates. Yeah, it's, in this case, it's it's the other way around. It's not a guy he can't get along with. It's a guy that he gets along with maybe too well. And that might be be part of the problem here. But, uh, oh boy, that was a not-so-pretty post-mortem, to say the least. Um, It was all right. It was it was a it was a good year. It just wasn't a great year, and there in was... the context of what they did twenty sixteen, it was a very good year. Yeah, absolutely, um, but it just wasn't quite good enough to get them what they ultimately came for. Yeah, and it's it's difficult. It like after testing, we all bought into the hype train. We all thought Ferrari's going to give them the fight without realizing. Wait, this team was terrible and went winless last year. Like to go to take it from zero wins to five, and to get into you know, to have a. a a massive second place in Voyager over Red Bull in the constructors is a great season for Ferrari by any measure, apart from the measure of the juggernaut in front of them, which all of a sudden we thought they could handle because they were so good to start the year. Um, it's kind of a weird paradox with Ferrari on this one. Scores on the doors. I'm going to go eight for them as a team on this one. Maybe eight, five. Let me think about this half a second. Mm, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and go eight five because there was only I mean there was only a couple of really bad days out there and one of them wasn't even the team's fault really it was just a series of unfortunate events in Singapore um, just a couple of critical DNFs is what cost him in the in the end and you know Raikkonen was taken out um, you know Raikkonen was taken out in in Spain and you know Azerbaijan was you know just another really just you know another collision with him and Valtteri so. They only really had two mechanical blunders. They were just at the completely worst possible time in the context of the chance of the title race. Um, so I'm going to go 8.5 for them as a team. This was a great improvement for them. Just not quite what they were hoping for in the end. Um, 
Drivers. Oh, God. How many people are going to call me out when I say this number for Seb? Nine, I think, is about right. I um, Let's be real here. He was the most captivating thing about this season. And he, I've, I said it before, he was the guy that made it interesting. He had five wins on his own. And he led the championship through 13 rounds. If you had said that to me last November, I'd have bitten your arm off and basically asked you for lottery numbers. Um, like, he was exceptional this year. And he took the, he's, he's, he beat a Mercedes. That's the first time a Mercedes has been beaten in the, construct, in the Drivers' Championship since the hybrid era began. That's I, I, big. I, I think the way that even in the preseason, we shaped up this title fight. Anyone else shaped up this title fight. Sebastian Vettel deserves that 9.0. He was the pretender presumptive. It wasn't Valtteri Bottas. It wasn't Kimi Raikkonen. It was Sebastian Vettel was the guy who could take Lewis down. Yeah, and his only real mistake in the entire season was Baku. And, yeah, I, 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 even I will hold that against him. That probably stopped him from getting the 9.5, quite frankly. But, um, yeah, besides that, a pretty incredible season. I mean, only one, only only a handful of races outside of the top four all season long. He was incredibly consistent. Uh, what, what about the rest of you guys then? I oh, sorry, give, I forgot Kimi Rockin. Sorry about that. Ferrari eight. I give Ferrari an eight point five out of ten. Like, yeah, this mm. this could have been a much better year. The car was certainly up to it. The team strategy wasn't. Kimi Rockin. Then I give a seven out of ten because he's because he's steadily good but just not good enough to put you over the top of Mercedes when there's probably a window of opportunity there. Sebastian Vettel, I give him the most fitting score for a driver who had been the who had been inch perfect, but for one or two instances that cost him the title, a 9.5. Fair enough. Um, King? Oh, yeah. I'm going to give... Ferrari an eight. I'm gonna give yeah. I'm gonna give Vettel the nine, and I'm gonna give Kimi a seven. Fair enough, Lewis. Uh, eight point five for Ferrari. Um, Sebastian Vettel gets a nine. Uh, I would have given him a nine point five, but I cannot ignore Baku. Um, and uh, Kimi Raikkonen gets a six point five. Um, he only beat Lewis Hamilton on five occasions all year, which is kind of his job to help Sebastian Vettel win the championship. And in three of those, he would have beaten him anyway because Lewis started halfway down the grid or dropped down the grid early on. Um, so really, the only two races where he did the team job for the Drivers' Championship were Russia, where he was third to Hamilton's fourth, and Hungary, when he was second to Hamilton's fourth. Other than that, he did not help Sebastian Vettel one iota, so 6.5. Yeah, key stat. Kimi Raikkonen was 100 points behind Valtteri Bottas in the Drivers' Championship, and that's where the damage was really done, at least from where I'm sitting. Yeah. Right. The, the boring part. The reigning world champions, and for the fourth ten, year in a row. Ten and an eight for Botas. Yay! <laughs> Mercedes, everybody. Um, yeah, everybody's favorite team. Everyone's favorite, favorite juggernauts. 668 points scored. Um, 11 race victories as a team. Nine from Lewis Hamilton, two from Valtteri, but actually, no, sorry, three from Valtteri, I should say. Sorry about that. So, actually, 12 wins as a team. Sorry, I miscounted on that one. Yeah, so 12 wins as a team, nine from Lewis Hamilton, three from Valtteri Rotas. Funny enough, first year of the hybrids, Lewis Hamilton didn't have a 10 win season. Hmm. How about that? But, um, of course, Lewis Hamilton winning the Drivers' Championship as well, 363 points. And, um, well, 
there was a chink of armor shown, you know. Inside the points. First time yeah. that's happened in 15 years. Yeah. Um, only one DNF as a team the entire season. Valtteri Botas's engine going up in Catalonia was Mercedes' only retirement of the year, <laughs> and in fact, it was the and in fact, it was the only time they didn't have a car in the points all year long. Mm. Virtually flawless in the context of the slightly more competitive top six, I guess. Yeah. But but um, what can you say, King? That hasn't already been said. They're a juggernaut, and they are going to be so hard to beat still going forward because they have Lewis Hamilton and they have a, key, a decent number two. And how do you beat that, really, at this point in time? Uh, you would have to find a way to somehow like it's gonna happen eventually but it's not gonna be through rule changes or anything it's just gonna be the mercedes-benz executive board are gonna get tired of winning so much there's gonna be so much winning that they feel like they're not getting a return on their investment and they're going to decrease the budget that they send to the formula one team and then they're not going to be able to keep up with Ferrari or Red Bull, and they're just going to just slowly drift towards being second in the Constructor Championship. It's probably going to be so boring that no one's going to notice. It makes you wonder in future years whether teams like Ferrari and Red Bull are going to prioritize one lap pace when they're designing and setting up their car for a season, because what really tilted the balance for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes was qualifying pace and pole positions and having track position early in Grand Prix. Yeah, yes. that 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 was a huge difference maker. I mean, I'm counting it now. I'm just give me a second. Fifteen pole positions for the Mercedes team out of the twenty races here. Eleven like, from Lewis. All Mercedes like Mercedes proved that the two most important things in contemporary Formula One is one lap pace and reliability. Because obviously they had one they had one failure this year. They had one failure last year when Lewis's engine went up in Malaysia. Their other retirements last year was in Spain when they both collided. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, like Mercedes proved that if you have the reliability, one lap pace is all you need. You just do that one lap again and again and again and again. Yeah. And that's I mentioned it like no one's no one talked about it with Lewis Hamilton and all the you know the fanfare came out over title number four and I tweeted it I tweeted it after as what I said the day after you know what won it for Lewis it was the qualifying pace the one lap pace the fact he was able to lead from the front most of the time and given that it's so hard to pass in Formula One these days how do you beat a guy when he's when he's consistently putting it on pole position Lewis is. The pole king, of course, he, he made history this year, you know, becoming the all-time pole position leader in Formula 1, and he's probably going to have 100-plus by the time it's all said and done, and that's terrifying in its own right. Um, but Lewis Hamilton, virtually perfect, pretty much all year long. Um, 11 pole positions. Actually, actually, I stand corrected. What only way you're going to stop this, and it's not even a guaranteed way to stop this, if Formula 1 somehow makes it, makes it, you know, somewhat in a certain way that the guy with the fast qualifying time doesn't get the start in front of everybody else. Right. I don't think even that might be enough. Um, that's that's how terrifying this is. Yeah, um, we saw how much reverse grid races really put a damper into Jonathan Ray's aspirations of well, what he's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. 
We're just, just going to get 2007 aggressive Lewis back. That'll be fun, wouldn't nah, it? No, no, no. No, no, no. Those are bikes. Those are different. You can actually, you know, race those. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. That is true. Mm. Let, let's talk a bit about Valtteri Botas because um, we were down on him earlier in the year, but he definitely finished the year strong. A second, a second, and a first in the final three races in Mexico, Brazil, and, and Abu Dhabi. Um, cracking the 300-point mark right at the end of the year. That, which is, you know, right about where Nico Rosberg sort of was when he when we, we came around the site of the hybrid times. I mean, no, you it's didn't... funny how perceptions change. Uh, yeah. Drivers. I remember I remember at the start of the season, we looked at Bottas and we were kind of fearful that he'd get absolutely crushed by Lewis Hamilton in the same car. And he actually started the season really well. Indeed. Um, and was closer to Hamilton than we thought. Won his first Grand Prix in Russia. Um, and yet by the sort of end of the summer and towards the end of the season, we were starting to look at Bottas and think that his spotting that team was already coming under threat. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he, he goes out of his way and finishes the last three races really strong. Yeah. I wonder how much of that was down to Lewis Hamilton basically phoning it in after he won the title. Because like, mm. like, the funny thing is, is that the stat came out during Sky Sports F1 that Hamilton has never qualified on pole after winning a championship in that yeah, never season. Never won a race after winning a championship. It's kind of funny because mm. uh, I mentioned the uh, the sort of master grid for the season, the average grid for the season. Yeah. Um, and um, if you average out all the qualifying results, the Mercedes driver's on pole, but it's not Lewis Hamilton. It's Valtteri Bottas, um, partly because Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton both had a back-of-the-grid start during the year. Mm-hmm. Um, Lewis Hamilton had one in Brazil when he crashed in Q1. Vettel had one in Malaysia where his car wouldn't run. So if you average out the qualifying results, Valtteri Bottas was the qualifier of the year. Um, but he was just <laughs> quite right. But he was, that, that obviously, that is quite a misleading stat. But he was, mm-hmm. I think, as I say, it, over the season, he was... He was better than I thought he was going to be in March. But given how he started, I think it was kind of concerning for him going forward how his season kind of tailed off around the summer indeed um shall we get the ratings out of the way here god um, uh, i already did 10 10 8 for botas that's i could I, I i can't argue with with the 10 for mercedes as a team i'm gonna go nine on this one because they were not as dominant as they were in previous years they did open the door i mean Last year, only two races were not won by a Mercedes. This year, it was seven. And, you know, the rest of the field is starting to catch up. That is definitely a thing. Well, maybe Ferrari anyway. So I'm going to go nine on the team. If you go ten, I can't blame you on that one. Lewis Hamilton, 9.5. Virtually perfect. Um, the, the qualifying mistake in Brazil is about as far as his errors really went for the year on that one um besides that practically flawless for a season again Valtteri Botas I think eight is about right I um he was he I know again we were very high on him at the start of the year but but the middle we were down on him and he picked it up again and 305 points you can't ask for much more from a second driver when Lewis Hamilton has 363 and won the title so eight I think is about right for Val and he's, you know, he should be solid going forward. King, hashtag Botas out. Um, what, what, what do you reckon on this? Okay, Botas, I'm going to give an 8. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give Lewis 9.5. Mercedes, I, I'm pretty, like, I'm going to give him a 10. Like, pretty much, like, it does. they've lost ground, but it's not like they've gotten slower. True. Yeah, it's just the rest have caught up. Yeah, the yeah. rest of them caught up. Like this is 
this is Lewis's first season since, you know, uh, his first season over the past four years where he scored less than a hun- less than 380 points. <laughs> Shit! Yeah, like, 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 oh my goodness! I, I I seem to make only forty five billion dollars in uh, net yeah. profit as opposed to fifty. Okay, I can, I, I, I can still, that, I, 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 still buy your family. I after that stat, I'm not going to beat my nuts in with a sledgehammer because that's how I feel after you telling me that, King. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and like, like I just need to point out to you that uh, we. Like, he scored less points. Like, his first championship year, there were there were only, what, uh, 19 races? Like, Yeah. Yeah, there were 19 races. There were, like, 20 races. He still scores less than, like, 180. I mean, 380. It's, it's like, such a small dent has been made, like, comparatively. Like, oh, he's, he's only, like, he's only 17 points off of what he normally scores. Like... <laughs> Nothing has been done. <laughs> I hate you, King. <laughs> way, to, way to suck all the fun out of me for next year, for like, God's sake. It's like I could have gone for the brand new Rolls-Royce Phantom, but the Bentley Bentayga, I guess it'll have to suffice. Oh, I, I didn't get that performance bonus. Oh, <sighs> God. Okay, enough doom and gloom and misery. That was the F1 2017 season review. Before you do that, Dre, do you want my scores on Mercedes? Yeah, yeah. For, sorry, my I'll, bad, Lewis, my bad. I'll, I'll chuck him in. They're pretty much the same as Kings. Nine for Mercedes. Hamilton gets a 9.5. He might have got a 10, but Monaco was probably his one bad weekend of the season. True. Uh, Bottas gets an 8. Yeah, fair enough. Can't argue with that. Right, enough talking about Lewis Hamilton for now. Enough gloom and misery. Let's get in to the Motorsport 101 Awards. Let's break out the tuxedos. <laughs> suited and booted we've all got our seats taking place the we've all got the right envelopes in place for the awards this time around suck it oscars let's get into the motorsport 101 awards for 2017 where we award the best and the worst in our collective motorsporting efforts in the year of 2017 and we've got lewis here too because hey we did a stowaway right <laughs> let's get into it um our, our first award <laughs> I'm going to go for race of the year first. Race um, of the year, because that is what auto racing is about. It's the racing. Actually, it's it's about the banner and the shit post, but it's about the racing too. What? That too? <laughs> Damn it. Okay. So, what are your suggestions for race of the year? I'm guessing we've got, we got to throw Formula 1's Baku in here first, right? Yes, Baku has to be in there. The the John Boyce pretty good episode of Formula One races for sure. Um, <laughs> that was all sorts of fucking crazy. The the, the dam of Formula One weirdness burst open on that one, uh, and pretty much the incident that defined this entire season. And oh, you know, some guy called Daniel Ricciardo won it as well. Right. Uh, you know, he has a he has, he has a knack of popping up during those sorts of situations. But yeah, Baku, and for all the carnage that ensued before and after, 
we have to kind of nominate that one, don't we? Um, right. Any other suggestions, fellas? I will nominate <laughs> the 2017 Indianapolis 500 just from the spectacle alone. Of course, you had the hype of Fernando Alonso um, jumping from Formula One to IndyCar, but you've also had another really good Indianapolis 500 where you seem to it have was. about. 80 jillion passes for the lead. You had unexpected players in contention for the win, from Matt Chilton to Ed Jones. James Davison on injury substitute duty even got <laughs> up in the mix. It was. And, of course, we can't forget the, the rookie of the year, Fernando Alonso. <clears throat> um, obviously playing oh, yeah. a major part and, in that and as Takuma well. And um avenged his 2012 yeah. loss by defeating Elio Castroneves straight up. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody still pull one out for Helio for not getting number four. He's still the, I, I still remember Helio was still smiling after being picked to the post for the second time in four years in the Indy 500. He, he is the happiest man on God's green earth. We must protect Helio at all costs because, God damn, if I'd been beaten that close for a, for a Indy 500 again, I'd have been pissed. Um, so, yeah, Indy 500 is definitely in the mix. King, you got, you got, you got one that sticks out to you? Ooh. No, because I was I was also going to nominate the Indianapolis 500. Hmm. Now, see, I was going to be a biking dickhead and nominate Philip Island from MotoGP this year as well. Um, yeah, and I, and I was going to join you in the uh, the dickhead club as well. Yeah, um, the, 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 yeah, it was essentially war games with motorcycles, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> effectively. The, the, uh, the, the Australian Grand Prix. It was brilliant, and it was one of those races where. Um, look, Philip Island never produces a bad race. Um, no. Anyone who's ever watched a motorcycle race around there will attest to that. Um, but it, it had two races in one in that the championship was on the line. We had Andre Vizioso down the field trying to close way back up and salvage some points. He didn't really succeed in that as it goes. Um, but we also had Mark Marquez who produced a brilliant ride to win the race to break the toe, which is something you don't do around Philip Island. But he was up against... Um, basically a bunch of axe murderers trying to take him down in <laughs> Valentino Rossi, who's never really had a good word for Mark Marquez. Uh, no. Maverick Vinales, who that was probably the only race all season where we saw him go wheel to wheel with Mark Marquez. Um, and the likes of Joan Zarco, who was one of the stars of the year, and Andre Iannone, who um, lets absolutely nothing get in his way around for the pilot, not even the Seagulls. Um, no. So um, that would get my vote. It was a brilliant race, a race that I would happily sit down and watch again, which is exactly what I did earlier today. It is brilliant. Go out your way to watch it. Even if you're not a bike fan, just watch that Grand Prix. Tour. Yeah, you have no excuse. The MotoGP video pass is going for the startling price of one euro during the off-season. You have no excuse. It's Get the video pass. now? God, it's one euro until next season. For the off-season, it's one euro. And they've got the backlog of all of 2017's races, so... Quite frankly, there's half a dozen that we could have put on that list, quite frankly. But I think me and Lewis would, would agree that Philip Island was the best of a, a, a serious collection of 10 out of 10 races. Um, so to only limit it to one, I will definitely throw um, Philip Island in there as well. Again, the video pass is a euro until, until the main season starts. You have no excuse go watch that race. Um, and then stick around for the rest of the 2017 season, quite frankly, because um, it was all pretty magnificent. As we said on Bike Live last week, shameless plug. Um, oh, three pretty good contenders here. So do we go for the F1 equivalent of the shitpost? Do we go for the Indy 500 <laughs> spectacle? Or do we go for war games on motorcycles? Well, look, mm. do you know what? I mean, I, I, am, I am not, um, I'll admit this now, I am not an IndyCar fan, um, particularly. Right. It's not something I watch regularly, but um, and Fernando, I've got Fernando Alonso to thank for this. I mean, no, um, I'm not ashamed of saying it because of Fernando Alonso. I was compelled to watch this year's Indy 500, 
and was not disappointed from it. Like, I'm not a fan of IndyCar necessarily, um, not because I feel it's not good, because like, it's brilliant, but I don't usually take the time out to watch it. Um, but and I'm not a fan of oval races either, but I was glued to the Indy 500. Um, the, the added story of Fernando Alonso and how he was going to get on really added to it. But even if Fernando Alonso had not been in that race, it was still an absolute thriller. Indeed. And, oh, do I get the casting vote on this one then? It looks that way, yeah, doesn't I think it? So. <laughs> I think so. Oh, go ahead. Do, do I go? Press the button. Do I, oh, do I flip over the bike dickhead button here and see? You, and then, like, press, press the button. Make, make Doug Balls happy. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? Press, press, um, press any button. Ugh, this is tough. This is tough because Philip Island was incredible, but but it's brilliant every year. It's brilliant every year. The Indy 500 was truly special for many, many reasons. Fernando Alonso arguably being the biggest one of them, but the sheer like I for the first, I've been an IndyCar fan for three years plus now. But this is my first, this is my fourth season watching. I have never seen so many motorsport people I follow specifically tune in for the Indy 500, even more so than any other 500. We had the hundredth run in last year of Alex Rossi. It didn't generate anywhere near as much hype as this year's did. And of course, Fernando was a big reason to play for that. But as as I just said, it was, it was also a spectacular race as well, and you know, it went right down to the very final lap. Um, and again, there were so many stories. I mentioned Takuma Sato avenging his twenty twelve near miss. Like Ed Jones was phenomenal. Max Chilton was phenomenal. Fernando Alonso showed the world he could. He's more than just an F one driver. He's arguably the most captivating man in all of motorsports. Scott cheated death with a smile on his face. <laughs> yeah, Dixon did a full backflip at 220 miles an hour. Um, James Davison was spectacular on injury recovery. Alex Rossi proved that last year wasn't just a fluke. I'm going to go with the Indy 500, and that will be our Motorsport 101 race of the year. And I, I, I can't, I can't begrudge that at all. It was a, it was a spectacle, and that is ultimately what motorsport should be, quite frankly. And yeah, I, I will flip the bike dickhead button down just for a moment, um, and let <laughs> and, and let the uh, Indy car take that one. The Indy 500 for me is is definitely um, our winner on that one. Let's go next to I call it the Verstappen Fan Anonymous Award for Overtake of the Year. Yes, um, this, of course, the, previously known as the Scotty Award. Um, short. Yes, the Scotty length, Award lengthened to uh, the Scott McLaughlin Championship Aspirations of 2017 Memorial Award. Buddy, you shouldn't have punted Craig Lowndes off Newcastle the final race. You knew you were going to get penalized. What are you doing, Scott? Oh, Scotty. He's watching too many Pensy Games episodes, clearly. Um, but, uh, yeah, Overtake of the Year. Um, how much so I'll jump f- in first with this one. I, I, I've got two down, and one of them predictably is from Motorcycle Racing. Um, I, I appreciate some listeners to this show perhaps don't watch Motorcycle Racing regularly, won't have heard of this one, but I'm going to Mugello and Moto2 um, to the final lap of the race and Mattia Fassini, who started the final oh, lap yes. third and produced two overtakes in two corners. Um, to win that Grand Prix on uh, Alex Marquez and Thomas Luti. Um, the first of them going through Casanova Savelli, the fast right-left um, S's midway through the lap. And then on the way down to Arabiata, the next corner, he produces another one um, to overtake Luti and win the Grand Prix. And what made it even so special was that it was his home Grand Prix and his first win for nine years um, in his career. That's quite the way to do it. Um, but if I'm going to narrow it down to one, um, 
in the spirit of what this award was initially named after, which was a Scotty McLaughlin dive bomb, um, no overtake for me um, deserves nominating for that award, quite like Daniel Ricciardo's three into one overtake. Um, or Lance Stroll, Felipe Massa, and Nico Hulkenberg that essentially won him the Azerbaijan Grand Prix um, earlier this year. The, the overtake got the restart, so obviously that took him past Lance Stroll. And that was the overtake that essentially got him clear of that path and won him the Grand Prix once Hamilton and Vettel hit problems ahead of him. That's, just, that's, that's a couple of great picks right there. Um, um, I would also like, I think I've got two I'd like to mention as well. One, I'll get the obvious one out of the way. Sebastian Vettel on Daniel Ricciardo at China. Um, going around the outside of turn three, I thought was practically unthinkable. Um, as, like just the sheer gumption on Sebastian to even try something that, that audacious. And that was ultimately what put him on the podium in that race. Um, it was a spectacular overtake. And uh, to anyone that says Sebastian Vettel can't pass can eat my ass. quite frankly, at this point. Um, <laughs> if you still believe, if still an arsehole that believes in that, shut up. Because like, Vettel had two outstanding passes. Because the, the one for Ocon and Perez at Canada was right up there as well. If anyone thinks he can't, I would say just watch Montreal again. Yeah, that was, that was balls deep, to say the least. Um... But the one I'm gonna think I'm gonna put above it just a smidgen was Joseph Newgarden on Simon Pagano at Gateway in IndyCar oh, this year. Oh yes, I was gonna. That, that was that mine. Well. Yeah, that was mine. <laughs> yeah, that was a championship-defining move from Joseph Newgarden on his teammate, his main contender for the championship at the time. Um, to it was there was, was contact on an oval at 190 miles an hour. And it could have so very easily ended in tears. It reminded me a lot of Simon Pagano the year before when he passed Will Power at, at uh, Mid-Ohio, where they, they they banged wheels and it was just a ridiculously ballsy pass. And like I, I said on Twitter at the time, that, that could have made or broken Joseph Newgarden's championship challenge. And it was an outstanding bit of driving from Joseph to pull that one off. So... Any other things you want to throw in the pot for this one, fellas? I, I have I have two. Um, the first I want to throw in is Daniel Tickham's four-wide pass around the outside of the Macau Grand Prix that eventually God put, damn it, it. put him <laughs> in a position for the race. I know it's recency bias. That was still spectacular. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, that was still it really was. fun. The second, I'm going to throw in to our folks at the Ebsen WeatherTech Championship. On the final lap of the race at Laguna Seca, Ranger oh, Ranger yes. Sanda basically does the Alvin Zanardi pass the corkscrew and does it to such a degree that Alvin Zanardi said, this kid did it better. <laughs> <laughs> that That's a very good point. King, you got anything there? No, no. All the ones that I was going to mention <coughs> already nominated. Okay, this is actually going to be a lot tougher than I thought on paper. Um, ooh. It looks like, it looks like I've been given casting vote approval status here. Um, and this one's even tougher than the last one. Um, Matteo Pacini's a great shout. Um, Joseph's was great. Imsa's was pretty good. Ooh, this is tricky. This is tricky. Um, I'm gonna go... I'm going to go with Joseph Newgarden. Uh, IndyCar's got two awards already today. I'm going to go with Joseph <laughs> Newgarden at Gateway on Simon Pagano. That's one you've got to see. Um, and it's, it's on YouTube. You feel free to dig it up. It is arguably the ballsiest pass of 2017. Honorable that, mentions that is as well to pretty much, well, 
every overtake at every IndyCar super speedway race. Yeah, um, holy shit. Um, that one takes the biscuit, quite frankly. That was ridiculous, um, quite frankly. Um, but yeah, like, there was four or five that could have easily won that. I don't think anybody here would have complained. So, um, yeah, stop, giving, stop making it so bloody hard for me, people, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> this was suggested by, I think it was Zoe Hamilton and Daniel Brennan, the Beat Them Down Excellence Award for Fight of the Year. Um, <laughs> as, as we know on this podcast, we love a good case of fisticuffs. Um, and, and 2017 was no exception to that. Um, <laughs> these don't necessarily have to be physical fights. They can be metaphorical <laughs> as well. Um, and, and so fellas, what was your biggest Barney of 2017? Mm, golly. Y- y'all go okay, on. I, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in again. Well, um, you said they could be literal or metaphorical. Well, I have nominations for both. Um, Cyril Abitable and Helmut Marco in Brazil. Um, <laughs> Shot finger pointing. Which, um, which very nearly literally ended up in a fight in the paddock. Um, bonus points as well for that one for our front toss to uh, just try to, to, to pour some more uh, petrol on the flames while it was uh, licking away um, by refusing to take any kind of uh, backward steps when he was asked about Ted Kravitz moments later. If I was going to go for one on track, though, um, get ready to push that biking dickhead button again. And oh, no. Nice. And Mark Marquez at Mategi. Mm. Oh, um, yes. And now, now there, were, there were a couple I could have picked between these two. Austria was another. Um, but I give it to Mategi just because of how horrendous the conditions were um, on that point. afternoon, um, where it was absolutely pissing it down with rain. Um, conditions that many a rider would have fallen off in. Valentino Rossi did fall off in that race. The conditions were so bad. Um, yet they went wheel to wheel on the final lap, a race that went down literally to the final corner where Marc Marquez went for a typically Marc Marquez dive bomb at uh, the final corner, which Andrea Vizioso was ready for, ducked back underneath him, and then beat him in the run to the line to win the race. Um, so that'll be mine. One other from motorcycle racing, Jack Miller and Alvaro Bautista in Spain. Bautista <laughs> took Jack Miller out of the race. Jack Miller wanted to punch Bautista, but decided to kick his bike instead. <laughs> Kicked his bike and gave Bautista a shove for good measure. It was the, what yeah. are you doing, man? Shove. But no, Dobby and Marquez in Mitegi for me. That's a great shout. Um, if I have to double down, I like the Austria fight a little bit more because that last corner you can watch a 50, 150 times and still and not be bored. The wave as it goes past. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, the wave from Dobby, that was, that, was, that was classic. That was the definition of what was so beautiful about their entire flight of 2017, basically. Um, for me, oh boy, um, I've got a shout out to uh, Joey Logano getting sucker punched in Vegas is still, <laughs> is still like one of the, not only that, also one of the funniest conversations in the history of this podcast. Um, talking about Joey Logano getting sucker punched at Vegas by Kyle Busch. Um, was it Kurt? Actually, it was Kurt, younger brother. Um, but, um, yeah, um, <laughs> That was phenomenal. Basically, as if those that haven't seen it already, um, Kurt kind of got nudged off by Logano on the final lap of the race. He gets shoved down the pit lane on the final lap. Um, Bush doesn't take too kindly to this because it's Vegas and it's, ho- it's, it's his home race. Nobody was going to stop him here. Um, so basically, he, he walks up down the paddock, finds Logano, and clocks him in the face. And as a result... His crew basically takes him down and gives him the piñata treatment. It's it is it's just as hilarious as I'm making it sound. Um, that is a great one. Um, 
in terms of metaphorical fights. I think I think I think Hamilton versus Vettel is definitely worth a mention, mostly because of how passive aggressive Lewis Hamilton is the entire season, and I'll get to more on that later. Um, RJ King, any suggestions you want to throw in there as well? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, quick mention, maybe RJ will nominate, but quick brief mention to IndyCar at Texas. Yes. Oh, gosh. The brief everybody, return of pack racing. Everybody <laughs> versus everybody by the end my, of it. My, my, my full nomination has to go to the the Formula E season finale in Montreal. Oh, Sebastian yes. Buemi versus the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, I have I have two final candidates. Um, we mentioned one NASCAR fight. Let's go to another. Um, Denny Hamlin versus Chase Elliott. Eventually oh. versus angry Chase Elliott fan. Who <laughs> but, you know, if I had the casting vote, I would go with one with um, Sean Cullen versus Jeffrey Swinford in the Indiana short car crash where Sean Cullen oh, was taken God. down by the stun gun. Oh, oh yeah, we talked about this oh, on yes, the podcast. We our, yeah, we had a live watch through on an earlier episode. It was great. Yeah, I think it was episode 110 if you want to go back and find that one. But uh, yeah, a guy gets stun-gunned in the middle of a short track race. Welcome to Indiana, everybody. Um, I, I think I have to go with Sebastian Buemi versus the world in the Formula E Season 3 finale at Montreal. That was that was one Swiss man that had snapped that weekend. He had had enough of this shit, and it was going to take... I, I, I felt sorry for him in the end, because like... We've all been there. We've all just completely lost our rag. And yeah, like Sebastian completely lost it. It just wasn't his weekend. It wasn't really his season. He could just he could yeah. just tell. <laughs> okay. Like like if I had to compare it to anything, like even like based off his car that he b- did everything but right right off, like it was basically like seeing a modern interpretation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein right in front of my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and just throwing Daniel Apton and, and Robin Frines all over the bus on this one as well. Like, uh, hey, he nearly threw one of them in front of a fire truck. Yep. Yeah, it, it was that sort of weekend for Sebastian. So, uh, Sebastian Buemi, sir, you win fight of the year. Your opposition, the world. Congratulations, my friend. Um, checks in the mail. Right. <laughs> Let's go to the Shoot Your Shot Award for the most repetitive element of, of motorsport this year. Now, this is a new award for this year because, let's be real here, Formula 1, we often the backbone of our show is often predictable as fuck. So, we thought we'd dedicate an award to the most repetitive and obnoxious thing about the Formula 1 season as general. Things that just keep happening. Obvious things, Lewis Hamilton on pole position, but there's a bigger one for Lewis Hamilton. Isn't that right, RJ? Yes, it's, of course... With every Motorsport 101 episode, of course, we have the greatest fans on every podcast and every episode that we listen to. Um, Lewis mm-hmm. Hamilton thanking the fans of everybody and calling them the greatest fans of the world. It, it's a bit cliche. I will go. I will actually go ahead and uh, pass that nomination over for Formula E fan boost at the end. Of <laughs> oh, the <season. laughs> um, which. Thanks to uh, thanks to certain acquisitions from certain teams, uh, really became just an inevitable like right. Lucas DeGrassi, Daniel Lapt, Sebastian Buemi. Lucas DeGrassi, Daniel Lapt, Sebastian Buemi. Lucas DeGrassi, Daniel Lapt, <laughs> Sebastian Buemi. 
I'm getting closer. This is very uncomfortable, just like this fan boost voting. <laughs> That's a very good shout. I'd also like to nominate Jolian Palmer for basically blaming everybody but himself for his poor performances. Um, in, in Australia, he, he completely threw his... He said, he said the team didn't prepare the car correctly, which was the reason for his free practice two crash. He got into it with Jenny Gow earlier in the season, who is like the most innocent and delicate flower in F1 journalism. Like, you start in beef with Jenny Gow. It's almost impossible to start beef <laughs> with Jenny Gow. Like, she's innocent. Like, and of course, like, like says, well, why do you think I'm struggling? And I'm like, well, there's a right on the wall here, mate. Uh, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> so, you know, by simply for him, kind of ran out. And yeah, like, Jodie and Palmer deserves an honourable mention for this as well. Um, for just sheer repetitively throwing everybody else under the bus, but himself, really, on this one. Um, <laughs> any other candidates, folks? Uh, well, nothing I, I... was more repetitive than a Jonathan Ray win this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, 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 but I've got a couple of others. Um, any time McLaren Honda changed an engine. Um, that, 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 oh, that the grid penalty. Screw, yeah. screw the people on the internet making grid penalties unbearable. Yeah, that was that was repetitive. Um, but the other one I had, and I genuinely this this is like, I did not know anyone else's nomination in advance, but I genuinely have on my list Julian Palmer having a bad outing and blaming everyone but Julian Palmer. Hey, <laughs> I was all proud of that one. <laughs> oh boy, like th- this could be a tough choice. Um, who? Do I go the fan boost or do I go for Lewis Hamilton? Though I do have to nominate an oldie but a goodie. Go on. Ferrari saying we're gonna quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but that's just like you you gotta like you gotta like limit the eligibility on that. Yeah. 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 Do we do we give Jody and Palmer a sympathy award or do or do we give it to fan boost? Huh. Hmm. Fan boost, because because it's not going to be a thing anymore. We got we got to do it fan boost now. Yes, it, 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 yeah, yeah, that's that's killed fan boost. Yeah, that's fair. In in as as a fan of the fan boost, not really. Um, <laughs> in honor, or should I say, in disgrace of Blimey. the worst recent motorsport rule. Blemmy Degrassi, Blemmy Degrassi, apt. Blemmy Degrassi. Yeah, they win. That's, that's a show title sorted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, that's the fan boost award. Gets the the be the, the, the shoot your shot award for most repetitive element um, of Formula One this year. That's uh, or sorry, motorsport in general this year, I should say. Right, next up, the probably going to the Claire Award for breakout star of the year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. Has anybody Should got any suggestions? Yeah. Uh, anybody here has any objections to giving this award to Charles Leclerc? Anyone? Uh, well, I, 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 John Zarco. No. Yeah. I mean, Zarco is a I good. Joan Zarco is a good pick. I would also go with Lando Norris, the other best Formula One prospect in waiting right now. Sure. Of course he's number one in his very first test in Formula 2 after signing a full-time deal for 2018. It's almost like he's really good at race cars as well or something. Imagine that. 
Um, Johan Zarko is definitely a great shout. Joanne Mir, I think, deserves some credit as well. I mean, known from Rookie of the Year last year in Moto3 to winning 10 races and almost matching Valentino Rossi's all-time lightweight class record of 11 victories deserves some credit. Anything else from you on that one, King? Oh, God. I mean, at any point, like, any of my nominations, it's pretty much like a nomination for second place. Is it going to the club? Yeah, like, I could, you know, say George Russell won one of the closest GP3 title fights, like, in history. Yeah, George Russell was was a good shout, but for cementing everyone's brightest hopes that, yes, he really is this good. Um, Charles Leclerc gets the probably going to Leclerc award for breakout star of the year. Well done, Charles. You can rip it off Carlos Sainz later. Um, Because he won it last year. More on that later. (laughs) Um, Oh, no. It's time to get to the phallic section, you guys. It's been fun. Um, It's the floppy award, ladies and gentlemen, for the biggest disappointment of 2017. So... What disappointed you guys about the year of 2017 in motorsport? Oh, God. A lot. <laughs> mm, I will start off with a with one of the teams that we were really high on going into the start of the 2017 IndyCar season. This was a team that had the foundation to rebuild everything, and now they've scrapped it. AJ Point Enterprises, congratulations. Oh. You are effectively worse than the perennial doormats of, in, of the IndyCar series. Sad, like we were so excited about that team. We had Carlos you know. Munoz on the show. We had, mm-hmm. we were all. We gave Connor Daly Rookie of the Year last year. Yep. <laughs> How did that work <sighs> out? Now they're both. Now they're both out of work and needing work. Yeah, and Carlos. Sorry, Connor Daly's got rent due. We got to get him something soon. Jeez, he had to, <laughs> give, back, he had to give back his truck. Really? Yeah, he had to give yeah. back his brand new Chevrolet because it was a lease deal. Oh, that is so painful. Oh God! Go to a John. Go to a John Cena and try and sell it. We missed from the news stories. John Cena tried to flip his Ford GT after two weeks. John Cedar is John Cedar is a douche. I love it. You see him rocking up in a Corvette racing hat. It's like, yeah, I support real winners, unlike those cheating ass Fords. <laughs> <laughs> that is like that, like John Cena. God, I, I love John Cena. Never change, man. Got his Ford GT. Apparently, the deal was he had to keep it for at least two years as like a brand extension thing for Ford. They were hoping. That Cena would enhance the brand of Ford by owning a Ford GT. So, of course, he flips it after two weeks. And he's now being sued by Ford. <laughs> oh, my God. John Cena, everybody. What a guy. Um, anyway, disappointments. Disappointments. Ooh, McLaren oh, Honda. I, I, have, one, I, have, I have one particular person Go I'm on. deeply disappointed in. Go on. He's a, he's a Spaniard who races with an Italian, well, rides for an Italian team. Oh, Lorenzo. Oh, oh, right. I am so I'm, disappointed. Yeah. I very nearly went for him. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he was supposed to be the guy that was going to lead Ducati to the World Championship. Ducati nearly did win the World Championship. It just wasn't Jorge Lorenzo that did it. Um, yeah. And yeah, he was, he kind of. It, it's very difficult for fence sitters to like Jorge, partly because of his attitude, and he almost likes playing the villain at times. But 
Um, his Almost. refusal to let Andrea Vizioso through in the championship finale um, in Valencia, whilst the title was on the line, um, was disappointing. I mean, my, my most my biggest disappointment also comes from MotoGP. Um, movie star Yamaha, uh, who, oh. who were, practically had the championship in the bag after five races of the season. Maverick Vinales won three of them, um, including the first two where there was frankly no competition to him, and won one more race for the rem remainder of the year, and that was Valentino Rossi and Aston, a race that he always wins. Um, so for a team who had such a dominant bike at the start of the year to just lose their way so badly to the point where Maverick Vinales finished the final race of the season in 12th, Behind KTM's, uh, from UK, um, yeah. it was it was a just a, an incredible collapse for a team. Like I say, they were the odds-on landslide favourites to win the championship at the start of the season and a third of the way through, and they left with nothing. That's a very good shout. Um, so, do I go for Jorge Lorenzo or do I go for the Yamaha team in general? Or do I go for AJ Foy? They're three pretty good shouts. AJ Foyt's team did show a bit of promise towards the end of the year, so I'm going to strike them out. What, what about what about the the failure of the rest of the big three in IndyCar? Effectively, the besides Penske, the only other threat to the title was Scott Dixon. <laughs> but isn't that what about kind the of failure? What about the failure of the 2017 Formula One technical regs? Yes. <laughs> we have a winner. Uh, <laughs> we have a winner. For after all the hype about these were going to be the fastest cars ever, and they were going to be amazing, and then we're going to kick ass, and it was going to be fun to watch. This season ends up being a total pooper for on track overtakes. Press the button. Press the button. <laughs> Press that damn what? button, gentlemen. <laughs> no, not doing it yet. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I agree with King. That's a great shout. Like I'm gonna go with the 2017 technical regulations in Formula One for the floppy award for biggest appointment for the cars that look pretty but raced ugly, very very ugly. Um, on that one, uh, it's a good shout indeed on that one. Right to the brighter awards for a little bit now. Team of the year. <sighs> Who wins the Team of the Year award? So, I think it's fair that we throw Mercedes and Force India into this pot already. Any other contenders? Uh, team Penske. Pen great in, yeah. great in <laughs> yeah. championships yeah. in IndyCar. Great in NASCAR. Great investment in supercars. About to go to IMSA. Rock up and kick some ass. First, second... I think first, second, fourth, and fifth in the IndyCar Championship overall. Yeah, first, second, fourth, and fifth. Yeah, that blasted Dixon getting in the way of a clean sweep. Um, yeah, terrifying as usual. I'd like to... F I, I wouldn't want to... I would actually like to throw in... Is, is Mark VDS in Murdo 2 a decent shout? With Morbid Denny winning eight races? And then Marquez winning two I, or three I really, more on top. I, I really want to throw in Ducati. They they, they do. They, That's a good shout. Yeah. yeah, great improvement in MotoGP this year. Six race wins in the hands of Davizioso. And, you know, yeah, um, I, for, me, for me, there's one motorcycle team that, that I would nominate. Uh, that's Monster Yamaha Tech 3, who was yes. the junior, junior Yamaha team, should I say, through the season, yet... On at least a third of the season, <laughs> outpaced the factory team um, in 2017. 
Um, their two rookie riders were outstanding. Joan Zarco, who lit up this MotoGP season, did everything but win a race. Um, and I've never wanted someone to win a race more than I wanted Zarco to win that final race in Valencia. Uh, up against Danny Pedroza, but Pedroza got him on the final lap. Uh, and Jonas Volga, who's had his illness issues um, over the second half of the season, and we wish him well, but of course. Um, his, his ride at the Saxon Ring um, to push Mark Marquez further than anyone has ever pushed him around the Saxon Ring um, at his home Grand Prix uh, was sensational. This was a team that were in danger of losing their title sponsor at the start of the season because the title sponsors, Monster Energy, were not too keen on their all-rookie lineup. Uh, and by about halfway through the opening race of the season when Joan Zarco was leading it on his debut they pretty much kept their mouth shut yeah do I, do I push the button on this one I, I, I think it's time I think it's time we push the button because Tech 3 exceeded so many people's expectations going into the year and Johan Zarco was one of the real firecrackers of 2017, two wheels or four because of how immeasurably impressive he was and shook off the rookie tag in a matter of minutes um, on track I'm going to go with Tech 3 we have, we have a bike award ladies and gentlemen Tech 3 wins team of the year with Johan Zarco and Johannes Volga Zarco would collect this award but he's too busy backflipping off his bedroom wall um, <laughs> more on that next year right, we're getting into the thick end of it now um our driver of the year. This is not our peak award. We have we have a really big one at the end coming up. But our driver of the year, the best of the best on four wheels. Safe to say, I think we're throwing Lewis Hamilton in here. Safe to say, I think we're throwing Joseph Newgarden in here from IndyCar. And I think it's safe to say, dare I say it, Carlos Sainz is an actual viable contender this year, King. Back to back. <laughs> <laughs> Any other recommendations for the four, one, one one four wheels? Rec- I will give one recommendation. In January, his first time in a GT car, he won a 24-hour race. In, in June, in France, he recovered from two laps down to win his second leg of this particular Triple Crown. Um, in his last race of the season in Georgia, he took an entirely different prototype car to the top step of the podium. And that paid off into a full-time drive in Formula One. My shocker nominee for Driver of the Year, Brendan Hartley. That's a great shout. That is a genuinely great shout. No love to the WEC. Um, I, I, I would like to give Sebastian Buemi an honorable mention as well on this one. Because I think out of the 19 races he, he was in, in all competitions this year, he won nine of them. And has nothing to show for it, which is just so cruel. Even how how his two main seasons played out. Um, obviously at Le Mans, um, the WEC in general, and of course in Formula E. I think Sebastian Buemi is a phenomenal driver, and he could he could put his mind to anything and succeed. <sighs> Any other suggestions on that one? Uh, one more in there. I know he's already won the Breakout Star of the Year, but Charles Leclerc. Yeah, why not put him in for the big boy nomination? Because, uh, God, Charles Leclerc, I think, was the most captivating thing to ever happen to Formula 2, or GP2 in general. The the emotional investment of Leclerc was, was seen by all this year, and some ridiculous performances in there. Bahrain stands out, like, F1 YouTube channel, you want to make Leclerc a star? Forget the 54-second montage you put up. Put the whole frigging Bahrain race up on there. <laughs> you'll have a, you'll gain a million fans in a heartbeat. That, you know, dominated in Spa by 26 seconds before the stupid DQ um, yeah. and whatnot. And got... I'd say 
Uh, also, shout out to Lucas Agrassi for being able to win the Formula E title. He missed out on Vita Lamada this year because he broke his leg. Yeah, um, he's, he's he's a bit of a techno wacko, but I do appreciate the size of his cojones half Can the time. Can I also of Lucas. give a shout out, not necessarily for this driver's like accomplishment on track this year because they were a bit subpar, but just for just being like a general presence of light in a beacon of otherwise darkness and doing it on the way going out being just generally awesome dale earnhardt jr from the nascar cup series stop being that guy (laughs) he will win his popularity award don't you worry about that okay okay fine i changed my vote to ricky and jordan taylor that's a great pick yeah the the taylor brothers are still the kings of 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 sports car and they're splitting up next year because ricky's going to penske <laughs> oh, how crushing. Um, Do you remember oh, when God. Matt hit Jeff with a chair in the 2009 Royal Rumble? Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah, very true. Uh, oh, God. Who do I pick here? Oh, Lord. Um, this is tough. Oh, I. I. Oh. I'm split between two people here. I'm split flip a coin, between... Flip a coin, brother. I'm split between, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Carlos Sainz and Joseph Newgarden. Um... Okay. <laughs> I'm going to put out a case against Joseph Newgarden. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Yes. Go on, King. I'm... Fight for your mans. I'm, I'm listening. That back-to-back award. <laughs> yes. I'm not, I'm not saying that Joseph Newgarden didn't have a great year. He had a fantastic year. The issue was that, again, his competition was only his teammates and Scott Dixon. Like Those are really good drivers! <laughs> literally, the only difference between last year and this year is that he was in a better car. Like, last year he finished fourth in the championship in in an Ed Carpenter racing Delara. But doesn't like, but doesn't that give credence to how good he was considering what Ed Carpenter racing accomplished after he left? How good he was last year. Yeah, like, yeah, cause, yeah, because their team boss is shit. But let's not talk about that because everybody loves Ed Carpenter. Oval master Ed Carpenter. Like, <laughs> this year he only had to beat four other drivers, and he did it. Right. I mean that's fair, but Carlos Sainz also had stiff competition. Once and once he switched seats from Renault, he he did kind of flatten out a bit, and that's not that's a little not, bit, a, a little bit. That's not to say, but that was but there was two DNFs in there as well, and he had the spectacular race at Cota where he put one of the overtakes of the year on Nesteban Ocon in that race as well, like a brand new car for him as well. Like I think that's less of an of a quote unquote excuse than New Gardens. Because, like, like, I'm going to be completely honest here. New Garden didn't become champion Joseph New Garden until the second half of the year. This is true. This is true. Ooh, both guys have made competitive cases here. Like, like, I know some of you guys like that are, that are listening are like, what about Lewis Hamilton? Listen, like, Lewis Hamilton no did exactly what that. Yeah, yeah, Lewis like, Hamilton was fine. Yeah. yeah la- last year, the world champion was not our driver of the year. Right, and, like, I still expect Lewis Hamilton to curb stomp people. And let's be honest here, his only championship competition came from a guy in a car that was susceptibly weaker and poorer run. Um, 
and that's the case of Ferrari, at least, at least in my humble opinion. Um, ooh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the Motorsport One Hundred and One Driver of the Year goes to. Renault's Carlos Sainz Jr. I'm going to go with Carlos Sainz on this one. <laughs> I'm fine with and the, back to back. Uh, uh, he didn't win it last year, but he was a contender last year. The thing is, oh, is yeah. that who like, won it last year? Then I think we gave I think we gave it to Daniel Ricciardo. Oh yeah, I think we did. I think, I think we, we did. I, think I was just... the only person who picked Carlos Sainz last. Year. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> like I'm going to give it to Carlos, and the reason why is because. His, he was one of the shining lights of an otherwise dull season, and like he's he like I don't think there's a person on in F one space that can't recognize his talent now, and he has become like the new next big thing. Like in that world of like we got behind Sergio Perez and Hulkenberg in the past, and the guy's spectacular. He is a spectacular driver, a spectacular talent. And I remember when he first was at Toro Rosso competing against Max Verstappen, and Verstappen got all the attention in that team. Because he he was the sexy pick, he was pulling off these exciting passes and whatnot, but very quietly, Carlos Sainz was the guy putting the work together, and we're starting to see him come alive now. And yeah, for me, I think Carlos Sainz impressed me more than anybody else out there on a racetrack this year. I expect Lewis Hamilton to be outstanding. I expect Joseph Newgarden to be outstanding. I didn't think Carlos Sainz was going to be as good as he was, and I think that is why he's he, he's going to be the Motorsport 101 Driver of the Year. Well done, King. Well, well, well done. Right. The penultimate award, and it's probably the most infamous, the one we totally didn't steal from Top Gear, the prestigious Golden Cock of 2017. Um, yes, this, this is Golden f- Phallus has been cherished by many a generation. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, last year's winners were, of course, Sky Sports F1, which led to one of my biggest power rants in the history of this show. Don't worry, they actually weren't as completely terrible this year as they were last year. So congrats, really? guys. Yeah, well, you can state to me your case in a minute, Lewis. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the Golden Cock Award for 2017. What infuriated, what was the most hateful part of 2017 in motorsport <laughs> for you guys? God. Oh, my goodness. Um... Ah, oh, that's tough. I'll need a moment to think on this one. King, what do you got? Oh, what do I got? Let's see. Because I've got a mm. big one. Do, do I go, like, like, it, it, it has been in the background. It hasn't been so in the face. But I think, oh, God, just, do, oh, do I, do I throw a legend a four-time Indianapolis 500 winner on the bus. Do I say oh. AJ Foyt? Do I do 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 I go oh. to the to the uh, James Hinchcliffe school of that's adorable, or go to Chip Ganassi? Do I, like oh. it, it, it's going to be someone who runs a team for me. Like if I could do like a banner entry of team owners, whether it be like just. I feel slightly disappointed by the performance of Williams, who I like. I could also pin that on Claire Williams. It's like team leadership in general. Your former future ex-wife, Claire Williams, King? <laughs> <laughs> Never! <laughs> uh, Christian Horner infuriates me. I'll say that as a team owner, because like, 
he was the only guy that Sky and the and Channel Four were, were, were cutting to during live broadcasts. And he just infused. He's such a fucking cheerleader oh, for we, his team we had at this Zach point. Brown. Yeah. We had Zach Brown at the end of the season. Oh, we, we, we had Zach. Well, Zach's all right when he's not too busy taking over all of motorsports media. Um, like, <laughs> which. By the way, is up the pile for me as well for quite up there. Like the very quiet motorsport one, the motorsport also sport media takeover of all of the world's press, which nobody seems to be bothered about, which really annoys me. Um, that's up there. Christian Horner is up there for continuing to be a friggin' cheerleader of a receding hairline um, and basically thinking like he's God's gift to Formula One team ownership when he hasn't really been relevant in four years now. Um, He's up there for me. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to throw out my my couple of candidates. Um, the first, general Halo-related malaise slash hand-wringing slash discourse slash handbags. Anything you could do to improve the safety of the sport is a, is a good thing. And, you know... Know, as much as we criticize the Halo concept as well, um, you know, ultimately it's going to do better things for Formula One, but nope, it just looks ugly. It's trash. It's awful. It's the worst thing ever. That's really one of the most reductive things you can do. I'm going to put Halo-related discourse at the top of the pile here. Second. That's a great pick. Second. Second. Um, for a man who's, whose late sister has done so much for you know speaking out against victims oh no <laughs> speaking out in favor or of uh victims of domestic assault sexual assault joe sayward you really did say a lot of really reductive and non-productive things about especially women's involvement in motorsport my dude you, mm-hmm. you, did, you did do that that's a that's a big one um I think the third, gosh, what is the third? I, I think those are my two. I think yeah, Joe's Award and Halo-related gum flapping, those are my two. Yeah, that that's a raw one. And, oof, King, you, you got to throw a team boss under the bus here? Uh, mm, specific team boss? Hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to throw a specific team boss under the bus. I, Oh, God, if I had to nominate one single individual. Mm, I really can't throw I I, I really can't <laughs> bring myself to nominate a single individual. Oh, dear. Um, I would like to throw Baku and all of the discourse related to Baku as my nomination because... Oh, yeah, back like <clears throat> listen. I happen to support Sebastian Vettel. I've I've made no bones of hiding this over the last six years. <laughs> like, I don't care what side of the fence you're on. That incident brought out the worst in everybody: fans, team bosses, drivers, journalists. You name it. It it brought out the ugly in everybody when we should have been embracing that as the chaotic fire start of this season. If you do that, you have to include after Toda as well. 
<laughs> yeah, Corner Cut Gate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that, that was an honorable mention for Corner because it was the same Dude, shit. Do we, do we have to throw in just stewarding-related discourse? Cut Gazi. <laughs> Cut <laughs> That's a good shout. Um, Lewis, do you want to take your case for Sky Sports? Well, it, it's kind of on the same um, lines as what you just said. It was Sky F1's reaction to Baku. It was I mean, it, to the point where... Sky F1 actually created a story on the Saturday of Austria of Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel refusing to shake hands, right, um, yes. which which hadn't even happened. Right. Um, they had shaken hands moments earlier. Um, so so yeah, I have Sky F1 and their um, sensationalist reaction to Baku as one of mine. A um, couple of others, um, track limits um, or the reactions to track limits. That's more on the on the topic of what we already discussed with Max Verstappen in Cota, um, and just how Formula One fans collectively just seem to have such a be in their bonnet over track limits, how it matters so much to them um, that track limits are uh, so rigidly enforced. Uh, and one other, he's been nominated already, but um, Julian Palmer for his horrendous interview he gave to Jenny Gao um, yeah. earlier in the year. Um, he quite literally, given the colour of his overalls, was a big golden cock in 2017. <laughs> um, so, um, so he will get my nomination, but uh, but yeah, I struggle to uh, to see beyond Sky F1. And uh, they're just there's their willingness to cast Hamilton and Vettel as hero and villain of 2017. Well, of course, anyone with half a brain cell will tell you it's a lot more complicated than that. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, what do I go with here? Um, a lot pissed me off in 2017, and everything you mentioned... We was, may not have everything. another three hours for it. No. <laughs> Good Lord. We've, we've gone on long enough. Um, uh, oh, boy. The Baku reaction, Sky Sports F1's kind of linked into that. Joe Sayward's a very excellent mention because, like, Joe Sayward comes across like a complete dickhead on many occasions. Not only that, not only, like his, his, his toxic, sexist views on women in motorsport. And then, of course, the the classic case of dismissing Danny Watts coming out. That was another one. That was, that was another big one as well. Where he said, oh, what's the big deal? And I'm like, are you really this tone deaf to how the world works? Yeah, um, yeah. I'd also like to jump in with a late nomination for Keith Hewitt, who is the answer. <laughs> who, who is the, the answer to the question? What would it sound like if Booker T was a MotoGP commentator? <laughs> <laughs> Great last shout. Wait a minute. But I... <laughs> Go on, Andre. Go on, Andre. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. That table did not break. <laughs> Wait a minute, I don't think Jason Jordan's entitled at all. Um, it's a nice last-ditch effort, but I think I'm going to go with RJ's pick of Joe Sayward, who wins the Golden yeah. Cock for basically being the stereotype of everything awful about white men and their views on motorsport. He is the embodiment of everything I can't stand about the older generation and watching motorsport these days. Sexist, oh. homophobic... And just everything wrong with how motorsport could and should be covered. And so he's for me, not even an entertaining YouTube personality to save his <laughs> ass from being nominated. No! <laughs> All I'm going to say is, God help us, that that other podcast that is affiliated to that other website that we used to be affiliated with, don't catch wind of this. <laughs> 
I don't. I could not give a flying fuck if they pick up on that. Quite frankly, because it's just true. Like some of their guys on said show were butting heads with some of the good people in, in uh, good female people in the motorsport community regarding some of his comments in the past. Anyway, so I couldn't give a rat's ass. Quite frankly, if they pick up on that one. Oh, an honourable mention to Helena Hicks for bailing out on us halfway through an episode. Really, yeah, really, I was going to say my really answer didn't make yeah. the uh, legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was going to be my answer <clears throat> as well, but I wanted to keep it, keep it cordial. Can I keep? Can we put the hours of my job training in as like a late nominee for keeping? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, you can't. Um, but, uh, Damn. We've we've got nearly two hundred minutes here. We have one more award to give out. I think this is going to be the longest show we've ever done, and it's been brilliant. So I don't the really care. Up bots is broken. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it, it's been it's been hammered through with a fist already. But uh, our athlete of the year, which is our ultimate award, we thought it's only fitting given that uh, given that we have bike live's own lewis sotherby with us um that we would combine all the potential biking and car names into one ultimate athlete of the year award and obviously we've got to throw carlos signs in there as our driver of the year um i think again only fair that lewis hamilton's thrown in that pile as well again the obvious names will come to mind on the biking side I think it's only fair that Autosports Rider of the Year, Mark Marquez, obviously gets a nomination. Um, mm. Adrena Vizioso. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, there are at least three riders in MotoGP that you could nominate. Uh, yeah. Marquez, yeah. Vizioso, and John Zarco. Yeah. Um, who were all, for me, 10 out of 10 for, for their 2017 seasons. Yeah. Um, for me, though, I'm going to give, um, in this three-and-a-half-hour epic, the most obvious answer of the entire show and nominate Jonathan Ritt, uh, who was just uh, in a class of his own, pound for pound for me, up there in the best riders on the planet this year. Absolutely. Um, given given the competition he was up against and just how he completely dispatched them, um, winning 16 out of a possible 26 races, um, setting a whole new points record in World Superbikes for a single season, breaking Colin Edwards' 15-year-old record um, with 556 points for a season. Um, that's out of I make it a possible 650 for the season. Yeah, um, incredible. So he was he was incredible. And given that, as we alluded to, uh, I think as RJ mentioned earlier on in the show, they effectively brought in a regulation to try and stop him winning more. Um, <laughs> yeah. In the, in the in the reverse grid, where the race one winner would have to start race two from ninth on the grid, and he completely made a mockery of his rivals and that regulation change. Um, quite often, he would go from ninth to first in a single lap. A, com- a, a compelling case, a very compelling case. Um, anybody else want to throw two cents in on this? Uh, if I had to throw in my nomination to nominate somebody, well, they've already technically been nominated, but my case is for Andrea Davizioso, how he, in one year's time, he's changed his status from probably perennial mid-card veteran to talk of the paddock. How he, in a year's time, he's arguably up there, the guy, the only person, like, there are only, like, a handful of people that you would say that are better on two wheels than Andrea Divizioso. 
A very true thing indeed. I, I, I was pulling for Andre Livizioso to win that Auto Sport Rider of the Year award. And again, I, you, you can never criticise Mark Marquez for winning that. Like, the guy is, is a demon on a, on two wheels. And Nice touch to have Jensen Button presenting with the award, too. That was a very nice touch. It's a Honda Thanks Day. Super as well GT to, uh... superstar, Jensen Button. <laughs> that guy. That's a peak of that guy status. Um. <laughs> Now, do I take any of those dudes over Carlos Sainz, or does he get my overall Athlete of the Year award? But I'm going to be real with you. I did have a name in mind going into this, and time to flip open the bike dickhead button, I think. Um, I'm giving it to Jonathan Ray, and and I, I, I completely agree with the exact same reasons that Lewis brought, brought up. Like, the guy is... is ridiculous really he has flown the f- he, he, he is flying the flag for british motorcycle race for racing for northern ireland as, a, as an athlete in general um, hashtag all in for jonathan ray yes all in for jonathan ray sports personality of the year please i mean again the first time a bike rider of any kind has been nominated for that award since james tozen in 2008 um on on that one um but I'm pushing it. I'm hammering it. Like Jonathan Ray is is the Motorsport 101 Athlete of the Year for, for representing for World Superbikes of all things has won our ultimate award and and <laughs> rightly so. Those of us kind of like spoil the Bike Live Awards. Like now, Jonathan Ray. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan Ray has to be Rider of the Year now. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> just a little bit, but I'm like, hey, maybe we'll change our minds between now and the end of next week. Who knows? Oh God, <laughs> I don't want to know the reason why you would have to change your mind. Um, I've been sued by the Mark Marquez fan club. <laughs> Who knows? But um, yeah, it has to be Jonathan Ray for for me as well. I like the guy is is a, is a legend. He's probably going to go down as the greatest superbike rider to ever walk this earth. Um, sheer total dominance and harmony between man and machine. He is he is now the face of Kawasaki as a brand. He is now the face of World Superbikes, and now they are actively flaunting the rules to try and stop him. He's that good. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, it, and it is in the given that he'll win the Bike Live Ride of the Year, because Bex will no doubt come in with a few Speedway nominations to try and... Uh, <laughs> we're not having her back on next week. Like She, she can wait till the off-season. <laughs> but um, that'll do it, ladies and gentlemen, for the Motorsport 101 Awards and our longest ever show. Um, wow. Our, our tape is going. We're at three hours and twenty-three minutes as we record this. We've done oh, over. T- we've done over two hundred minutes, Lewis. I'm so and sorry. It's not about our only show of the week. No, um, because as as we mentioned earlier, we'll, we will be back on Friday as as we record this on Friday to record our Women in Motorsport special. Featuring... Well, he's gonna have time to, to edit that. He doesn't have to like release it the next day. Yeah, you know, he's off this week, you know. Lewis, crack the whip. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I'm joking. But um, we have our Women in Motorsport special later this week on Friday. That might be up by the weekend, who knows? Um, it'll be it'll obviously me, RJ King, Zoe Hamilton, and Elizabeth Worth. We can't wait for that. She's been dying to get on the show for like a year now. Um, the, 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 the paths have finally aligned, and that will be a thing later this week. Um, of course, don't forget to back us on Patreon for early access. Just a thought. Um, the, the, the show is going to be spaced out a lot more now because this is probably going to be our final weekly show, um, for at least for a little you while. Le- we'll... You get less content. 
Yeah. <laughs> finally. No, we, we we work too hard. We need a break. I like listen. I reckon we'll probably have a Christmas special up between now and Christmas as well, most likely. So oh, you know, what, what, what could our Christmas special be about? Hmm. Just shit posting for an hour and a half. How about that? <laughs> That's what we do on this show anyway. <laughs> Let's do a two-hour keeping it one-on-one about the darts. Yeah, there you oh go. God. There we go. We're darts starts on Thursday. We're darts one hundred and one yes. now. Yes. <laughs> no, sorry, darts one hundred and eighty-one. Um, yeah, we we're gonna have a new motorsport five hundred one. Yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna have a new innovative logo. Everyone's gonna hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be green, named after Michael Van Gogh's brand, of course. Um, but, uh, yeah, just listen to that as well. We'll probably have a couple more shows between now and Christmas, so stay tuned for that. Again, follow our social media for more updates on that. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101, Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101, and of course all our personal Twitters at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at Lewis Sullivan 23 Please don't make it another year before you come back on, Lewis. It was far too fun, um, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, and of course you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Remember, $5 gets you early access to both this show and all episodes of Bike Live, which will be back next weekend with the Bike Live Awards, the obviously underwhelming version of this. Um, sorry about that. We might have just given away one of the award winners. Whoops. Um, sorry about that. Um, but uh, in the meantime, it's been a pleasure as always, folks. Um, again, our longest ever show. And yeah, what a, way to, what a way to bow out on the motorsport calendar year, effectively. So until... Well, later this week, really. Um, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Lewis Sutterby, RJ O'Connell, and Ryan King. And until next time, sayonara. Later, y'all. Honestly, if you want to blame anyone for Jonathan Ray becoming Rider of the Year, it's probably Ben Spees. Shouldn't have gone to MotoGP. His career probably would have lasted a whole lot longer. (laughs) Very true. Very true.